Why does Ryan keep why does Ryan always play these creepy ass music? Here before the congressional committee to tell what I knew of activities, which might lead <laughs> to an attempt to set up a Why does he always pick these musics that are like really fucking creepy? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know where he's been lately. Uh, I know it like really freaks me. it really freaks me out, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah well, you know, <laughs> bless his heart. He, someday he'll come back. I'm sure we'll be able to talk again with him. You know. But you mean the 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 things he plays freak you out? Yeah. Yeah. They're like eerie and spooky what? and yeah they're yeah, like eerie and, <laughs> yeah. and spooky yeah they are <laughs> and i get um, scared when i listen he, to him but you know i come back anyway yeah <laughs> yeah you would you would think you would think uh you would think um he he would choose more calming music about the Especially when it's like a targeting um, podcast, and especially when it's in the middle of the night. Yeah. <laughs> oh, he just wants to spook us. I think. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. He's been kind of closed off lately. I hope he. I hope he comes. Comes around. Huh? <laughs> Someday. I was thinking about well, I keep thinking about it, but I'm 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 really worked at it too hard. But I was I've always been going to restart my call, my Friday night call, and um, I'm just not doing it. I'm not sure why. Like, um, I work at like night terrors from like sleep paralysis. Actually, I get day terrors. I'm more I'm more panicky during the day, you know. Do you, do you know what night terrorists and sleep paralysis? Yeah. Do I know what night? I think so. I know I've been terrorized at night, you know, um, right <laughs> after my husband died. Oh. I started having... No, oh. no, no, like... No? Okay. Like, yeah. it, it's like... So what happens is you're, you're conscious, but your body is still locked because hmm. you're still asleep. You're conscious enough to like look around and everything, right? Yeah. Whoa! No, I haven't had these. Yeah. <laughs> and like these mm-hmm. these monsters that are like straight out of your nightmares. They're like hmm. they're not real, but you're able mm-hmm. to see them in your surroundings. Whoa. And they're creepy and freaky as fuck. <laughs> oh. Hello? And and you see them at night, yeah? Uh, can you hear me? You there? Can you hear me? Yeah? Hello? Hi, can you hear me? Can you hear me? 
Kevin, can you hear me? They're they're doing this, you bastards! Oh man! Can you hear me, Kevin? I don't think you can. Can you hear me now? potential for the disastrous rise of misplaced power exists and will persist. The very word secrecy is repugnant in a free and open society. And we are... Hello? Kevin? A formative experience for a generation of CIA and military intelligence personnel involved in the Phoenix program. They viewed the military defeat in Vietnam as a betrayal on the home front, a loss of will by domestic political enemies, not a military failure against a nationalistic revolution fought as a guerrilla. Hey, I'm back. The Phoenix oh, there program. Oh, Can you hear me? Being manner I couldn't tell okay so basically what paralysis so basically what sleep what sleep paralysis is it's yeah, like a waking nightmare it's yeah, like your ew. body is locked and you and you can and you and you and you feel like you're awake in your room but like your body is still locked and yeah. um you hallucinate these monsters that are almost like real and they're really freaky. Yeah. I don't like this at all. I can't imagine having that, you know? No, I don't have those. I don't have night terrors. I do have daytime terrors, but not night. And I take too much trazodone. <laughs> I just knock I knock myself out. So do you have those a lot, a little? Do you have those? Often? Um, they're very rare, but when they happen, they're they're really freaky because you just feel this sense of dread and unease. Yeah. And like your mind yeah. comes up with the freakiest shit. Yeah. I don't have those. Well, I was married to a really crazy person for a while in my life. I was wondering if there was something wrong with me or if it was like a TI thing. Is something wrong with you or what? Or if it was like a TI thing. What do you mean, huh? What do you mean, something wrong with you? Um, I don't know. Um, like, I, I don't know if it's something with, with my, with, with, with just me or if it was something like in the TI community, if it was common. If you mean like the night terrors thing? Yeah, yeah. Oh, no, I think, I think if you bring it up on a call, you would, you would get a lot of people saying, oh yeah. 
No? I think so. A lot of people, I I seem to have heard, well, not a lot, but a fair amount of people who just, um, who also really have those night terrors. They, they get paralyzed. They see scary, ugly stuff, you know? I'd say there, there are a few, to say the least. Don't think you're alone. Because, like, I've talked to, like, people outside of the TRI community, and they and mm-hmm. I've come across people who have said they had them. But, mm-hmm. like, um, and, like, and, like, I would joke with them about what it was, because, like, I know it's not real. But, like, yeah. but, like, we, we would laugh yeah. and stuff. Um, but like when it's happening to you, it's just when it's actually happening to you, it's just the freakiest thing. I bet. Is it scary? Yeah. Does it frighten you? Um, it's it's petrifying. Yeah, I bet. Um, yeah. So other, so anyways, um, what I've been doing lately is reading books and, um, playing board games, having fun. Yeah, I'm good. I'm glad you're having fun. I I just bought this, um, I just bought this really sweet board game called, um, called X-Seed Street Fighter Edition. It's a two-player fighting card game where you basically play cards and try to reduce the other the opponent's life points to zero. It's like a fighting mm-hmm. game. Do you, do you know what those are? No. No, uh, I'm not a big board game player, but but I can sure listen. <laughs> do you do you know here. what fighting game? Do, do you know what fighting what, games what? are? Uh, like, do you know what fighting games are? Like video games. Video games. You know, I don't know if I know. I know I used to do some... Well, I don't think so. I'm not sure what you do in a video game. You play with other people? Yeah, yeah. Um, So there's a specific type of video game called a fighting game where you basically Mm -hmm. play as a martial artist and you try to... So Mm -hmm. you've seen Kung Fu movies, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you, you're basically playing as two um, two martial artists, and you're trying to like knock out the other person. Um, mm-hmm. So you have a life bar, and you have special attacks and stuff you can use. You have ultimate. You have you have special moves, and you have like um, <laughs> you have like ultra combos, which are like um, which are these really spectacular moves that you can pull off. Once you reach a certain, um, once you start up enough uh, of a gauge, which is like mana or just like mana in like um, D&D or, uh, crap, 
copyright displaying, um, do you, do you kind of know what I'm trying to get at? Mm, no. Can you put it in other words? With, can you use uh, more common words, words that just older people would know? <laughs> because I'm not sure what you mean. Um, so like, so like in fantasy, yeah, so like in fantasy, there's, um, there's a certain amount of, there's a certain amount of magic each person has, and, uh, Mm -hmm. you basically, Hmm. and so for an ultra combo, you basically draw from the magic reserve that you have, and Mm -hmm. you can only pull off a certain number of those. Okay, and who wins? What, what is the what is the basic? What is the goal of the game? When you win, uh, why the, did you win, and what do you win? Yeah. The goal of the game is to reduce the opponent's life point to zero, and um, you win by knocking out the opponent. And how do you knock him out? By winning. Uh, okay. So you play cards to reduce their life points. And when okay. their life points are reduced to zero, they're knocked out. And you win. Okay. Do you play um, that on, on computers, or do you play that with somebody around? I mean, who do you play it with? I, I play it with cards, and then I play it face-to-face with people. Uh-huh. Okay. So it's with another person. Okay. Yes. Hmm. So it's it's like... Uh, do do you know the do you know the robots that punch each other? The robots the and what? Ro- the rock and no, sock robots. Really. The, the, <laughs> no. the, the the really old game where like where like you have two robots and they move their arms up and down and they try to punch yeah. each other. Yeah. It's kind okay, of like yeah. that. It's, it's it's kind of like that. Okay. But with cards. That's your heart. I wish I could understand. I'd be, um, <laughs> I don't quite understand it. But what the heck. As long as it makes you happy to play it and you can play it. And do you find your other, do you play it on a computer? Do you find other people on the computer to play it? Um, well, there's an online version. There's an online version. There is an online version. So I play it online. What? Uh, so they they made a video game version of it. So yeah. you can play it online, but you can also okay. play it in person. Oh, I see. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And it's played with cards. Watch out, Jack. I mean, you got to watch out a little bit. Watch out, baby. Watch out. Yeah. It's okay. You're okay. Oh, boy. Good boy. You can stay right there. Yeah, it's played with cards. You ever play anything like Monopoly or those are very old games? Go fish. Oh yeah, we we have we have games like that. Um, resource yeah. management games, deck building yeah. games, engine building games, um, stuff like that. We have like uh, 
we have tabletop games where you go on a campaign, uh, where you basically go on an epic fantasy quest. We have games like that. Um, we also have games like where where you like manage your country and you try to like and you try to get the most resources. You try to um, advance your country and stuff like that. That's um. Games like that. We also have social deduction games okay. like um, yeah. Mafia. Do you know Mafia? Yeah. Do you know Mafia? No. Yeah, we have games know like game. that. Yeah. Uh-oh. Uh-oh, here we go. <laughs> okay, this I like. This I like. Yeah, drums, yeah. Better than... Scary stuff. Hmm. If Ryan's on the what? call, why is he joining in with us? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Bless his heart. He's just um, not very social lately. But, you know. Yeah, we want. We all have Ryan, our time. We want, huh? Ryan, you, Ryan we want you to join in with us. Ryan, we want yeah. you to join in with us if you're listening. Come on, him. Come on. We're here. I don't know what's going on. Bless his heart. Um. So have you ever been out of New York? Yes, I've been to China, Toronto, oh, all oh, around good. Europe. Yeah, good. Yeah. What was your favorite country? That's okay, baby. Or do you have a favorite country? Um. Mine was Greece. I think Greece. Well, Greece and and and. What's that big one with the pair? <laughs> Come on, Linda, the pyramids. You know, Egypt. Egypt was fascinating, I thought. Well, is fascinating. What was your favorite country? Um, I don't have a favorite country. Oh. I'm... I'm partial to America, China, and Japan because I'm I'm like culturally, racially, and physically part of those countries. Yeah, I can see why you would want you would want to see a little bit of your heritage, wouldn't you? Um, but uh, I'm not going to say which one's my favorite country because, well. Um, America's a hair country because I'm American. Um, oh, I see what you mean. Yeah, yeah, but still, that's some of your heritage, I think. You know. Um. If I, if I have, if I had to say which country brought me the most pleasure so far in my life, um, yeah. maybe Japan because of the video game companies that are based in Japan. Uh-huh. In the anime companies that are based in Japan, um, 
But um, I don't know. I was in um, I was in Japan, and at one time my husband represented. Who did he really represent? Well, he represented Honda, but he represented somebody else. I don't think is is Honda a Japanese country? Yeah, it's a it's a Japanese I mean, company. Yes. I mean, yeah, yeah. I know what you meant to say. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, Strapi's car company. <laughs> you got it. Yep. Yeah. I think it was. I think we went over there. He was. He was giving a talk. So I don't know who it was, but who? You know, but I got to kind of buzz around. A lot of cars on the road in Japan. My God, you know, at least in the, in Tokyo, a lot of cars. Like, like you know, bumper to bumper, boy. Yeah. Yeah. So you got friends around there that you play these games with, yeah? Um Yeah, yeah. Good. Good. Did you say you got stocked in school? I can't remember exactly. I think you... Yes, I got stocked yes. in school. That, that's yeah. why I'm always trying to, like, say that once it's all straightened out, we should get a second chance at whatever. You know? Yeah. That's kind of, yeah. that's kind of like my whole thing. You had a hard time in school <laughs> late then because they were after you, right? Yeah, yeah. 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 Well, if you had enough, if you had enough background to uh, to put a resume together, I can always help you put a resume together. I used to be in the business, you know. Um, I have a resume. Oh, good. Well, agencies love anybody that can... Walk and talk and chew gum at the same time, you know. Yep. So, yeah. Uh. <laughs> uh, life is funny. The first temporary job I had was at my husband's law firm, and I went. I started working there as a temp at night. <laughs> Turned out to be a whole different life. Um, it was interesting. Well, not really. Laws they were very interesting, but you'll see pretty healthy not to have sleep paralysis. I could not understand a word you just said. What'd you say? You must you must see pretty healthy not to have sleep paralysis. I I I'm pretty healthy. I, I've been taking vitamins, I think, since I was about three. You know, I take vitamins every morning, every night. Um, I my protein, my vegetables, all that good stuff, you know? Yeah. Is that what you said? you think I must be healthy? Yeah, you must be healthy and never have had sleep paralysis. Well, I have sleep problems. I just, um, 
I take Trazodone. But, I mean, I, I told that they gave me, they changed companies that manufactured my Trazodone, and it's horrible. It's absolutely horrible. And um, the company is under investigation by the FDA, you know, and they're um, really careless, bad, you know, a bad company. And they're in India, and they have no regulations. Well, that's what they changed my, trans, my um, you know, uh, prescription to, was that company's stuff rather than the one I used to take. And really, it makes a difference. It really makes a difference. I think we should all take a look at, um, well, we should all look, make sure the company that makes the drugs that we get um, prescribed is a good company because there's some really bad ones out there. It's amazing what goes on in pharmaceutical companies, you know? A lot of bad stuff. People are bribing the FDA people, and the FDA people are taking the bribe giving them a pass, you know, saying, okay, their drugs are just fine when they're not, you know. That's amazing. Amazing. So anyway, I made really sure. I called, the, you know, the pharmacy and went after I'd taken them for a while, and I said, this is horrible. These are horrible. You know, I want my other ones. I want the ones that, you know, the prescription that that other company made. These are horrible. So he says, okay, we can do that. We can do that. So just finish this out, and then we'll, you know, we'll order them from the other. Well, so I get my refill today. It's another company from India that's under investigation by the FDA. Boy, I'll tell you, it's a tiny drugs are really business. So, if you get a, if you ever have to take a prescription, make sure, make sure they're not killing you. No? I, mean, I think there's a reason. They're, they're, you know, they say, oh, yes, we'll do it. We'll order it right now. Don't worry. We'll have it all right there. And then today, they didn't. That's not cool. So I don't know whether I should yell at them or I don't know what, quite what to do. Well, yes, I do. I'm not going to yell them. I'm just going to be clear that they get to give me what I asked for. Yeah. So you do have trouble breathing. When you have trouble breathing, is it, can I ask, um, do you just feel like you can't get enough air in, enough oxygen in? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I know that feeling, yeah. Do you ever, do you ever take anything for it? Um, no. You might want to get a fan. That helped me. Um, I got a fan when, the, when it started to kick up. And if you put it on every night, 
fairly near you. It's, it really does help the, help the clean up the air, and you don't feel quite so stuffed, you know. It really yeah. does help. Okay. Yeah. Well, when okay. you can't breathe, it's tough, you know. So does your mom help you out? Does she, I mean, I don't know why I'm so interested in what your relationship is with your mom. I just want to make sure you're okay. Um, but she does yeah, come fine. to see you. Yeah, good. You are? Okay. Well, people like you and Kyle, and I just want to, you know, I just want you all to be okay. You're awfully young to have to be in this bank situation, you know? Um, yeah, I'm hoping yeah. that when it's over, we got a fresh start. Yeah. It would only be fair. Nothing about this is fair, however. But we'll get there. Someday. Yeah. Okay. you take any vitamins? Or did I ask you that? Uh, yes, yes, I do. I take them all the every day. Good. Good. Stay in good health with all this, if we can. Are you a tidy person? I'm not. I just want to, I keep checking with everybody else. Do you keep things clean? I'm not a very tidy person. Don't like it. You don't sound like a heavy person. That's interesting, you know. And people, usually heavy people. I would not have envisioned you as as heavy at all. Um, when I when I had my agency, I, I I got very good at knowing who was going to be walking through my door. You know, when I would make an appointment with someone, and um, invariably it seemed like I had them pretty much on the money. I. I could tell by their voice what they were, who they were going to be. It was weird. It was good. Yeah, I shouldn't be a happy. That's because I really shouldn't be a happy person. I just am not good at taking care of myself. Um, yeah. So I'm going to try to walk a lot to slim down. I really you can try to. walking. Walking. Yeah. That's a great yeah. idea. Very, that's, that, yeah. And that'll get you spurred on to, to then you get on a bike, and then, you you know, you start jogging little by little, you know. That's good, though. We should all walk every day. They're hitting me with, they're hitting me with microwaves right now, because I'm getting warm. So what do you do with yourself during the day? 
play cards. <laughs> play cards, read, right. <laughs> Play cards, read, write. Okay, okay. Yeah. Cool. You might want to keep a journal of what happens every day. It's really amazing how good that is because you, you it's amazing how, how it helps you stay on track, you know, and you go forward and you look back and you see what ha- I mean, it's just really amazing. It kind of helps you put it all together. I've been journaling for a couple months now. So it cool. helps you remember everything. Okay. <laughs> so, do you think you eat too much? How do you, what do you think? How do you think you put on the weight? And when did you? I when I when I was on medication. Hmm. When I was on medication. Yeah. You ate too much on yeah, medication. No. And um, I um, I eat I I eat too much sugar. Yeah, yeah. Sugar makes you happy. Kind of you know brings the frequencies up a bit. My problem is ultimately it doesn't make you so happy. You know. Yeah, yeah. It puts on, when it puts weight on us, it's, it's not making you very happy. How's your mom? Is she is she chubby too, or whatever you call it? Uh, or is she slim? She little or big? She's pretty big, but mm-hmm. um, she's she's not as heavy as I am. You know, for your eyes, you should take lutein. Good thing. Wait, to, what? Good thing. To, lutein, L-U-T-E-I-N. Lutein. Really good for your eyes. Keeps them healthy. Okay, I'll look into it. Yeah, really. Um, you should do that because they, they will go after them. Seems not very yeah. nice people, are they? You know, yeah, you're right. What? Come near you. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, thank God I've always taken vitamins. I'm not sure why I have because I haven't been real big on taking care of myself over the years. But um, but that's something I've been just you know forever doing, and I think it has helped me get through this stuff. You know. 
What do you do during the day? Oh, I'm, I do Facebook. I, I, I clean up after myself. Um, I, I don't do that much with Jack, and I need to do more, but I, I uh, have something. I, just, I need to carry too much to really walk, so i got to get some stuff faxed and taken care of and some paperwork that they love to take. And then after the paperwork's gone, they, try, they take the money. So I um, have to keep that under control. You know? Yeah. At least. Yeah. So, you know, I got a lot I should be doing, but I'm not doing it very well. You know? So did your mom go to college? Where, is, where, did, where did your mom come from? Yeah, she has a Ph.D. in chemistry. Well, does she? Good for her. Yeah. Did she work? Um, she hasn't worked since my father died. Aw. What did your dad do? He was an engineer. Was he? Hmm. So was my yeah. dad. Yeah. I think my dad may have been a target, too, from... From a lot of the things he said, and then the way he finally died, I think he was a target. Um, he was a good man, too. Very good man. I miss him. Did you say he died of a heart attack? Huh? Did you say he died of a heart attack? No, he died in the plane crash. Oh, that's right. That's I, right. I, I told you yeah. this before. Yeah, I know, but I forgot. <laughs> so I'm sorry. Must have been thinking about something else. Well, I forget a lot. It's been shocking for you. Ten years ago, well, not that young, but still. I do think that we see the people that we dearly loved, I do think we see them again, you know, later on, when it's time for us to pass over. I think we do. I had a near-death experience one time, and I was, a big light post hit me over the head, and I ended up with some broken vertebrae and 47 stitches in my head, and it was, but anyway, I, I was out, or going out, and I was floating, I was hearing bells and stuff, and I was um, sort of floating along a uh, rock wall with a sea of people behind it, and when I got to the gate, my husband was standing there. This was after he died. He was standing there, and he was telling me, I, he said, you, I said, I, I so much wanted to go with him. And, um, you know, but he said, no, you can't now. you got to go back. And I did. And then I heard the, the ambulance driver yelling my name, do you know who you are? Yeah. Yeah, I do. Um, 
But anyway, it was interesting that I was able to see my husband again. It really mattered. Well, I do think there's an afterlife. No? Are you religious? You're not religious, are you? Um, I think you're. Yeah? No, I'm, I'm not. Yeah. I'm not either, really. Kind of surprised me that after death experience, or that near death experience, it um, surprised me. Actually, it surprised me a great deal. Okay, I'm going to mute the phone for a second. I'll be right back. Okay. my story. We need to transport our way to the Shopify back office, which we can do right here. So what we're looking at is the back office. I'm not somebody that I sell on Shopify. I sell on Shopify. If you for that day, $95.79. But haven't figured out what it takes to actually do the ads and what works and what doesn't work, I actually scaled the product from nothing to around $5,900 per first month, which you can actually see right here on the dashboard. Now, it was at this point I was thinking, holy this could actually work. So I actually went 
going around the building and traveling the world. It was this that was going to be my vehicle that was going to change everything for me. And it was ups and downs. It was a lot of trials and tribulations. But by the time I was two months in, and I feel like up there right here to the next month, I made a total of $165,000 in sales. By the end of this summer, you know, we oh, press this really quick. And we, we Kevin, did more people join us? Is that a that person or a recording? Hello? 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 Oh, hi, I'm here. Hi. Hi. Is that a recording? Um, I no, I was listening to um someone talk about drop shipping. So is somebody on the call? Oh no, it's uh it's okay. a video. Okay. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Hold on. Ow. Well, it's a shame. Now, hold on. You know, Ryan's. Brian's call was going quite well. It's a shame. It's a shame. I mean, it was really moving along. People were showing up, and you know, it's a shame. It just kind of dropped. What um, happened? I don't know. What? I don't know. Oh. Okay. Just, I wish I knew. You know, you mean what happened? To, what, what happened? Why did it go like this? Why did this happen? Um, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know because he really has the capacity to have a great call, you know, and um, I wish he'd do that. I don't know what's going on in his head. I just don't know. Huh. So what do you think of Trump? We went over that a lot already. That's all right. We can go over it again. What do you think about him today? <laughs> His latest. Did we go over this really? My brain doesn't remember anything anymore. As I said, I don't like the guy, but um, if he... Exposes gangs talking to them. 
Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Is he a gang star? Yeah. I agree. Yeah. I'll like him if he if he stops all this. I don't think he will. But you know. This is so crazy. This is just so crazy. All of this <laughs> makes no sense at all. Not at all. You have a good memory. No, I really don't. Oh, you really do. You remember things we talked about when I don't. I used to have a memory like a like a steel trap. Not anymore. Not anymore. Bless their hearts. Hmm. Okay. So you think you're a pretty happy person? Yeah. Hello? I'm right here. Hi. Hi. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm decently I'm happy. I can barely hear you. I can't I can understand what you said. I'm decently happy. You need some therapy, did you say? I'm decently happy. Oh, you're easily happy. Well, that's cool. You're a lucky guy. And not everyone is. You're lucky if you're easily happy. So your mom must have have been a good mom if she raised a happy son. No? Yeah.
my alarm setting. Okay, well, I'm going to go now. Okay, huh? Me too. I'm going to go to sleep pretty soon. Okay, talk to you later. Talk to you later. Okay, him. Talk to you then. Bye bye. Bye. Okay, Jack. Vietnam War was the formative experience for a generation of CIA and military intelligence personnel involved in the Phoenix program. They viewed the military defeat in Vietnam as a betrayal on the home front, a loss of will by domestic political enemies, not a military failure against a nationalistic revolution fought as a guerrilla war. The Phoenix program Assassinating suspected VC sympathizers in a systematic manner worked well and is the blueprint for the current black operation targeting thousands of loyal Americans using state-of-the-art microwave and radio frequency radiation weapons. The motivation to suppress domestic dissidents and to assassinate loyal American opposition stems from the perception of dissent against the war as treason. This philosophy is stated very clearly in the Mind War paper written by Michael Aquino. The Department of Defense has a huge stake in futuristic technology that kills by ionizing and non-ionizing radiation, leaving little or no trace. The indiscriminate killing of the Phoenix program continues on American soil. The terms soft kill, slow kill, and silent kill refer to the new way of killing the enemy in conflicts short of war and the small wars of the future. The counterinsurgency doctrine has now been applied to the home front so that the perceived betrayal of the military in Vietnam will not be repeated. The generation of CIA and military intelligence led by Shackley, Helms, Casey, Singlab, Secord, John B. Alexander, Michael Aquino, Paul Vallelie, and others have built the perfect beast using selective assassination that leaves no trace. The ability to cull the human herd with silent kill technology allows a few personalities to remake the entire society in their own image. Extremely low frequency technology slowly drives the target crazy with silent sound, similar to the CIA MKUltra psychiatrist Ewan Cameron's psychic driving technique used to break down the target's personality. The new buzzwords at the Pentagon are synthetic telepathy and psychotronics. Another means of attack on targets is the Smirnoff patent that uses subliminal suggestions to manipulate human behavior. 
This patent was purchased by the remote viewing company SciTech Corporation. Military intelligence officers involved in developing these non-lethal weapons also control SciTech. Emotional manipulation is accomplished using Dr. Michael Persinger's work to remotely project emotional states that the brain entrains or locks onto and emulates. One can broadcast rage or fear at an individual target to manipulate and control them. As if these methods were not enough to torture and murder people, add to this nightmarish toolbox active gang stalking. CIA created cults and other cause-oriented groups are used by actively harassing them in public in a neutralization technique described in counterintelligence operations manuals that are aimed at enemy agents. In the race to develop a new weapon, it has always been necessary to test it on human beings. Perfecting the latest weapons designed to kill slowly and silently, as well as perfecting the process of controlling the human mind are no different. Once the weaponry has been perfected on these few thousand people, the same techniques will be applied en masse to the general population and then to humanity as a whole. MKUltra was the secret CIA crash program to develop techniques to control the human mind. By the end of the Korean War, 70% of the 7,000 U.S. prisoners of war had signed confessions, 15% cooperated fully, and only 5% steadfastly refused confession or indoctrination. Professors Wolf and Hinkle submitted a secret report to Director of Central Intelligence Alan Dulles about communist methods of brainwashing that was the definitive work on the subject in 1953. It stated that no drugs or machines were used. Intense psychological pressure and human weakness were the key, beginning with solitary confinement. Guards constantly reminded the prisoner that he was totally cut off from outside support, ordered him to stand for long periods, dictated the positions allowed for sleep, waking him if he moved while sleeping, banned all outside stimuli such as books, conversation, or news of the outside world. After four to six weeks, the prisoner would break down. Quote, he weeps, he mutters, and prays aloud in his cell. At this stage, the interrogation began in a special room. The guard told him that he knew his own crimes all too well. The prisoner is in the position of trying to prove his innocence to he knew not what. The interrogator and the prisoner bond in their shared ransacking of the captive's soul. As the interrogation proceeded, the prisoner realized that he could only end his ordeal with a full confession. Quote, the prisoner feels that something must be done to end this. He must find a way out. According to a KGB man, more than 99% of prisoners sign a confession at this stage. Then the subject was either shot or sent to a labor camp after sentencing. Chinese techniques would move on to re-education of prisoners by moving them into a group cell for political indoctrination, incessant study of Marx and Mao, lectures and self-criticism led to political conversion by group pressure. 
prisoners demonstrated their commitment by ferociously attacking any deviations. Constant intimacy with prisoners who reviled him for his resistance pushed the prisoner beyond his emotional endurance. As the prisoner conformed, his cellmates gave increased acceptance and esteem, which reinforced his commitment to the party, for he learned that only his acceptance allowed him to live successfully in the cell. In contrast, the American mind control effort was a mini Manhattan project with the conviction that the keys to brainwashing lay in technology. The agency's brainwashing experts gravitated to people in the mold of the brilliant and sometimes mad scientists obsessed by the wonders of the brain. In 1953, CIA officer Richard Helms chose Dr. Sidney Gottlieb to run the technical service staff. The TSS, through the Office of Research and Development, was given the job of developing poisons to assassinate political opponents, truth serum drugs for interrogating spies, and hypnotic techniques to create unwitting double agents, couriers, and robot assassins. Dr. Gottlieb used Nazi scientists and their state-of-the-art mind control techniques that had been perfected in concentration camps using victims of the Holocaust. General Dwight D. Eisenhower gave his personal approval to exploit the work and research of the Nazis in the death camps. The German doctors were brought to the U.S. and went to work for Project Paperclip. These men were insulated against war crimes charges. The Nuremberg prosecutors were shocked that the U.S. authorities were using German doctors despite their criminal past. Under the leadership of Dr. Strughold, 34 scientists accepted contracts from Project Paperclip and were moved to Randolph Air Force Base in San Antonio, Texas. These personalities began to work on human radiation studies, aviation medicine, microwave technology, and MKUltra mind control experiments. The authorization to hire these Nazi scientists came directly from the Joint Chiefs of Staff. The top military brass stated that they wished to exploit these rare minds. Operation Paperclip eventually recruited 9,000 Nazi scientists and technicians to help the U.S. destroy the USSR. Some of these scientists were known as programmers, people skilled in the art of breaking down and controlling the human mind. Dr. Joseph Mengele and others experimented extensively with children and adults using mescaline, electroshock therapy, hypnosis, sensory deprivation, torture, rape, starvation, and trauma bonding in an effort to control the human mind. Dr. Mengele was so successful using the technique of trauma bonding that survivors today still exhibit a profound affection for their torturer, referring to Mengele as beautiful Joseph. Dr. L. Wilson Green was a Jewish doctor who the Nazis coerced to participate in their experiments at Auschwitz. This individual, whose code name was Dr. Green, came to the U.S. after World War II and began to experiment on adults and children for the military and CIA. The military and CIA copied the Nazi methodology and began numerous programs of their own. The first CIA program was known as MKUltra. 
The MK is an abbreviation for the German words for mind control. By 1953, the CIA, U.S. Navy, and U.S. Army Chemical Corps were conducting their own narco-hypnosis programs on prisoners, mental patients, foreigners, ethnic minorities, and those classified as sexual deviants. To avoid confusion, the dozens of mind control operations will be referred to generically as MKUltra. According to MKUltra documents and sources, the methodology of mind control works best when severe trauma is administered by the age of three years old. Severe trauma, such as rape, applied at the age of three, will cause the personality to split or dissociate in an attempt to shield the mind from memories of events too painful to endure. The psychiatric terms are multiple personality disorder or dissociative identity disorder and can be produced accidentally or purposefully. The Three Faces of Eve is the true story of multiple personality disorder created by childhood abuse. Psychic trauma and creation of multiple personalities was eventually codified by programmers into a standard methodology and is typically accomplished by forcing children to observe and participate in the ritual sacrifice of animals and humans and inducing further psychic trauma by the means of rape and other horrors. The trauma causes the dissociation. This functions much like the partitioning of a hard drive in a computer. The dissociative state is used as an opening to hypnotically induce an alternate shell personality. The programmer will use hypnosis and triggers to call forth the created personality known as an alter personality. Only 20% of the general population is easily hypnotizable, but trauma at an early age makes people vulnerable to dissociation and thus easily hypnotizable. Typically, the programmer might wear a costume, such as a rabbit suit, and sacrifice a rabbit in front of the child victims before they are physically traumatized. The image of the rabbit, a phrase from Alice in Wonderland, or similar paired images are used as the triggers to call forth the alter personality. The method works best when the trauma is repeated around six years of age. A few years later, the child victim's IQ tests and personality tests are evaluated to determine whether the child may be trained in assassination, sexual blackmail, drug courier, or other role. The subject can be hypnotized and used for operations, but we would only be consciously aware of the sense of lost time. Dr. Sidney Gottlieb employed these early programmers and concentrated on the use of LSD for mind control and exotic poisons and drugs for political assassinations. He personally gave LSD to an unknowing fellow scientist, Dr. Frank Olson, who worked for the Army Chemical Corps Special Operations Division at Fort Detrick. His job was developing biological weapons. Dr. Olson committed suicide by jumping through the window of a 10th floor hotel. Dr. Gottlieb concealed his actions and the Olson family was unaware of the cause of his suicide until 27 years later when the facts emerged during a congressional hearing on CIA abuses. The link between Gottlieb and Olson illustrates how the different elements of biological and chemical weapons, radiation testing, 
and MK Ultra were all intertwined. Dr. Ewan Cameron was president of the American and Canadian Psychiatric Associations. He ran the Allen Memorial Institute, which was founded in 1943 with funds from the Rockefeller Foundation. Nazi paperclip scientists made their way into the CIA and military-sponsored mind control programs here in the United States and Canada. Some of these scientists were friends of Dr. Cameron. Money for Cameron's operation came from the CIA and was funneled through the Cornell Society for the Investigation of Human Ecology. The systematic annihilation or depatterning of a subject's mind and memory was accomplished with overdoses of LSD, barbiturous sleep for 65 days at a time, and electroshock therapy at 75 times the recommended dosage. Psychic driving, the repetition of a recorded message for 24 hours a day, programmed the emptied mind. The Canadian government settled a class action lawsuit by 250 former patients of Dr. Cameron decades later, but no person or institution has ever been disciplined or punished for these activities. Linda McDonald was 25 years old in 1963 when Dr. Cameron treated her for mild postpartum depression. She received 102 electroshock therapy treatments, 80 days of drug-induced sleep, and emerged completely depatterned, essentially like a newborn, totally incontinent, unable to state her name or recognize her husband and children. She had to relearn how to drive, cook, read, and use a toilet. Eventually, unlike many of the patients of Dr. Cameron, she made a complete recovery. Cameron was the premier psychiatrist of the 20th century. He had studied Nazi scientists at the Nuremberg trials and later replicated many of their methods and sought their assistance in the race to control the human mind. Cameron's mind control experiments were one program out of many run by the CIA, Navy, Air Force, Army, and others. Although many parallel operations were occurring in the U.S., None of them was ever discovered or prosecuted. These programs were run by men the likes of Morris Allen, Dr. L. Wilson Green, Dr. Martin Orne, Dr. Stephen Aldrich, Dr. James Hamilton. These and other American and foreign-born programmers were supervised by Dr. Sidney Gottlieb, who was in turn supervised by Richard Helms, and Alan Dulles, the director of the Central Intelligence Agency. I was tired, I was depressed, my back was hurting. And so he said to the children's father, why don't you go to Montreal and visit this Dr. Ewan Cameron, this famous man who has all of these accolades and have an assessment so we went. My medical file even says that I took my guitar with me. And that was the end of my life. Within three weeks, Dr. Cameron decided to call me an acute schizophrenic and ship me up to the sleep room. I was in a, a, a coma for 86 days. 86, 86 days of unbroken sleep. Yeah. 
total comatose state. I was had to be toilet trained. I was a vegetable. I had no identity. I had no memory. I'd never existed in the world before. Like a baby. Just like a baby that has to be toilet trained. Pictures, and I know who that is, who they are, but I don't remember them as my children at all. Hmm. I mean, I know that they came from my body. Um, but there's no, that's all. I don't know, and that's because I was told that. Hmm. So these are my children. Linda McDonald would hound the federal government for four years before finally in 1992, Ottawa grudgingly agreed to compensate her and some of Dr. Cameron's other victims, $100,000 each. Richard Helms ran the Dirty Tricks Department after the Bay of Pigs and became director of Central Intelligence in 1966. He destroyed the archive on MKUltra when he left in 1972 and successfully covered up the crimes of MKUltra. Helms was a product of the Eastern Establishment. His grandfather was president of the Federal Reserve. Helms, like Gottlieb, was a Machiavellian character who used paperclip scientists and would stop at nothing to win. He advocated low-intensity warfare, transmitting strategic subliminal messages to the brains of enemy populations and the use of high frequencies to affect memory and the unconscious mind. In 1964, he wrote a memo to the Warren Commission where he mentions biological radio communication. Quote, cybernetics can be used in molding of a child's character, the inculcation of knowledge and techniques, the amassing of experience, the establishment of social behavior patterns, all functions which can be summarized as control of the growth processes of the individual. In 1953, MKUltra relied on LSD but by the 1960s, the emphasis had changed to biological radio communication. MKUltra had 149 subprojects that encompassed nearly every aspect of human behavior and social science. In the 1977 Senate hearings, former CIA Director Admiral Stansfield Turner stated that the program took place at 80 institutions, including 44 universities, 15 private companies, 12 hospitals, and three prisons. MKUltra Subproject 119 was the foundation of all non-lethal weapons programs currently active and included a summary of five areas, one of which is entitled Techniques of Activation of the Human Organism by Remote Electronic Means. This memo was dated August 17, 1960, and when viewed with other evidence that was not destroyed, shows significant interest in radio frequency weapons and direct control of human behavior at a distance. By 1960, the CIA dropped emphasis on the use of LSD in favor of electronic influence. This aspect of the research is where the greatest modern emphasis has been, rather than chemical or biological agents, both of which violate existing treaties and leave physical traces. 
Dr. Stephen Aldrich took control of the Office of Research and Development in 1962 from Dr. Sidney Gottlieb. Aldrich started Operation Often, an investigation into the occult with the help of Houston sorceress Sybil Leake. CIA behaviorists carefully studied every aspect of the occult underground. The Scientific Engineering Institute, SEI, was a CIA cutout that had been set up in 1956 to study radar. In 1962, SEI set up a lab to study the effects of electrodes deep in the brain. In 1972, SEI also sponsored a course at the University of South Carolina in rituals of demonology and voodoo. Dr. Aldrich was an MKUltra programmer who focused on remote brain manipulation and the occult, the twin threads that run through SEI Corporation. In 1962, a CIA manual focused on radiohypnotic intracerebral control, RHIC, which was developed by the Pentagon, quote, when a part of your brain receives a tiny electrical impulse from outside sources, such as vision, hearing, etc., an emotion is produced. Anger at the sight of a gang of boys beating an old woman, for example. The same emotions of anger can be created by artificial radio signals sent to your brain by a controller. You could instantly feel the same white-hot anger without any apparent reason, unquote. Another term, electronic dissolution of memory, EDOM, refers to the ability to erase memory at a distance. I'm Christy Nicola, born July of 1962, rendering me 32 years of age. I was a subject in radiation as well as mind control and drug experiments performed by a man I knew as Dr. Green. I was a subject from 1966 to 1976. Dr. Green performed radiation experiments on me in 1970, focusing on my neck, throat, and chest. 1972, focusing on my chest and my uterus in 1975. Each time I became dizzy, nauseous, and threw up. All these experiments were performed on me in conjunction with mind control techniques and drugs in Tucson, Arizona. Dr. Green was using me mostly as a mind control subject from 1966 to 1973. His objective was to gain control of my mind and train me to be a spy assassin. I was in what looked like a laboratory and there seemed to be other children. I was strapped down, naked, spread eagle, on a table, on my back. Dr. Green had electrodes on my body, including my head. He used what looked like an overhead projector and repeatedly said he was burning different images into my brain while a red light flashed aimed at my forehead. In between each sequence, he used electric shock on my body and told me to go deeper and deeper deeper while repeating each image would go deeper into my brain and I would do whatever he told me to do. I felt drugged because he had given me a shot before he started the procedure. When it was over, he gave me another shot. The next thing I remember, 
I was with my grandparents again in Tucson, Arizona. I was four years old. You can see from this experiment that Dr. Green used trauma, drugs, post-hypnotic suggestion, and more trauma in an effort to gain total control of my mind. He used me in radiation experiments both for the purposes of determining the effects of radiation on various parts of my body and to terrorize me as an additional trauma in the mind control experiments. The rest of the experiments took place in Tucson, Arizona, out in the desert. I was taught how to pick locks, be secretive, use my photographic memory, and a technique to withhold information by repeating numbers to myself. Dr. Green moved on to wanting me to kill dolls that look like real children. I stabbed a doll with a spear once after being severely traumatized, but the next time I refused. He used many pain induction techniques, but as I got older, I resisted more and more. He often tied me down in a cage, which was near his office. Between 1972 and 1976, he and his assistants were sometimes careless and left the cage unlocked. Whenever physically possible, I snuck into his office and found files with reports and memos addressed to CIA and military personnel. Included in these files were project, subproject, subject, and experiment names with some code numbers for radiation and mind control experiments, which I have submitted in your written documentation. I was caught twice and Dr. Green ruthlessly used electric shock drugs, spun me on a table, put shots in my stomach, in my back, dislocated my joints, and hypnotic techniques to make me feel crazy and suicidal. Because of my rebellion and growing lack of cooperation, they gave up on me as a spy assassin. Consequently, the last two years, 1974 to 1976, Dr. Green used various mind control techniques to reverse the spy assassin messages to self-destruct and death messages. His purpose, he wanted me dead, and I struggled to stay alive all of my adult life, all of my adult life. I believe it is by the grace of God that I am still alive. These horrible experiments have profoundly affected my life. I developed multiple personality disorder because Dr. Green's goal was to split my mind into as many parts as possible so he could control me totally. He failed, but I've had to endure years of constant physical, mental, and emotional pain even to this day. and to create the perfect spy, all through the use of chemicals, radiation, drugs, hypnosis, electric shock, isolation in tubs of water, sleep deprivation, bone washing, verbal, physical, emotional, and sexual abuse. I was exploited unwittingly for nearly three decades of my life, and the only explanations given to me were that, quote, the end justifies the means, and, quote, I was serving my country in their bold effort to fight communism. I can only summarize my circumstances by saying they took an already abused seven-year-old child and compounded my suffering beyond belief. The saddest part is I know for a fact that I was not alone. There were countless other children in my same situation, and there was no one to help us.
until now. Dr. L. Wilson Green, who claimed to have received $50 million from the Edgewood Chemical and Radiology Laboratory as part of the TSD, or Technical Science Division of the CIA, once described to Dr. Charles Brown that, quote, children were used as subjects because they were more fun to work with and cheaper, too. They needed lower-profile subjects and soldiers or government people, so only young, willing females would do. Besides, he said, I like scaring them. They in the agency think I'm a god, creating subjects and experiments for whatever deviant purposes Sid and James can think of. Sid being Dr. Sidney Gottlieb, James, Dr. James Hamilton. In 1958, I was to be tested, they told me, by some important doctors from the society, or the Human Ecology Society, and I was instructed to cooperate. I was told not to look at anyone's faces and not try hard not to ignore, to try hard not to ignore any names, as this was a very secret project. But I was told to be brave, and all these things would help me forget. Naturally, as most children do. I did the opposite and remembered as much as I could. Dr. John Gittinger tested me, Dr. Cameron gave me the shocks, and Dr. Green the x-rays. Then I was told by Sid Gottlieb that, quote, I was right for the big A, or meaning artichoke. By the time I left to go home, just like every time from then on, I would remember only whatever explanations Dr. Robert G. Heath at Tulane Medical University gave me for the odd bruises, little marks, burns on my head, fingers, and even the genital soreness. I had no reason to believe otherwise. They had already begun to control my mind. The next year, I was sent to a lodge in Maryland called Deep Creek Cabins to learn how to sexually please men. I was taught how to coerce them into talking about themselves, and it was stopped. even saw Richard Helms, who was deputy director of the CIA, Dr. Gottlieb, uh, kept George White, Mills Allen, who all planned on filling as many high government agency officials and heads of academic institutions and foundations as possible, so that later when the fund funding for mind control and radiation started to dwindle, projects would continue. I was used to entrap many unwitting men, including themselves, all with the use of a hidden camera. I was only nine years old when the sexual humiliation began. I overheard conversations about a part of the agency called ORD, which I found out was Office of Research and Development. It was run by Dr. Green, Dr. Stephen Aldrich, Martin Orne, and Morse Allen. Once a crude remark was made by Dr. Gottlieb about a certain possible leak over New Orleans East involving a large group of retarded children who are being given massive doses of radiation. He asked, why was Wilson so worried about a few retarded kids? After all, they would be the least likely to spill the beans. Another time, I heard Dr. Martin Orne, who was the director then of the scientific office and later the head of the Institute for Experimental Research, state that, quote, in order to keep more funding coming from different sources for radiation and mind control projects, he suggested stepping up the amounts of stressors used and also the blackmail portion of the experiments. He said it needed to be done faster than to get rid of the subjects or they were asking for us to come back later and haunt them with our remembrances. I've already submitted as much information as possible, including conversations 
um, report of the people, agencies responsible. I'm able to report all this to you in such detail because of my photographic memory and the arrogance of the doctors, the arrogance of the people involved. They were certain they would always control my mind. Although the process of recalling these atrocities is not an easy one, nor is it without some danger to myself and my family, I feel the risk is worth taking. Project Pandora. In 1953, the Russians began to bombard the U.S. Embassy in Moscow with electromagnetic radiation and the microwave spectrum, but the fact was kept secret from the embassy employees. U.S. Ambassador Stossel contracted a blood disease, bleeding eyes, nausea, and eventually lymphoma. He and other employees eventually died as a result of the microwave attacks. Dr. Henry Kissinger sent a secret memo giving hazard pay to embassy personnel in the 1970s. Before the attacks, the USSR had met with the U.S. to try to head off an arms race in electromagnetic weapons, but were refused. In retaliation, they began microwaving the U.S. Embassy. It is possible that the U.S. government took advantage of the situation and used the embassy staff as microwave guinea pigs. The Department of Defense's Advanced Research Projects Agency, ARPA, set up a lab at Walter Reed Army Institute of Research and participated in Project Pandora. Scientists began zapping monkeys to study the biological effects of highly concentrated microwave frequencies. Similar studies were conducted at the VA hospital in Kansas City, University of Rochester, Brooks Air Force Base, Johns Hopkins, MIT, the MITRE Corporation, University of Pennsylvania, and other domestic and foreign labs. In one study, Dr. Jose Delgado experimented on four human subjects using radio waves, reporting they experienced different emotions, sensations, and colored visions. Delgado stated that these weapons were, quote, more dangerous than atomic destruction. With knowledge of the brain, he said, we may transform, we may shape, direct, roboticize man. I think the great danger of the future is that we will have roboticized human beings who are not aware that they have been roboticized, unquote. Dr. Delgado was in fact responsible for the development of a brain transponder that was used to roboticize human subjects. In the councils of government, we must guard against the acquisition of unwarranted influence, whether sought or unsought, by the military-industrial complex. The potential for the disastrous rise of misplaced power exists and will persist. Five, four, three, two, one. In the dead silence of the morning, at 5.29.45 Mountain War Time, the Jornada del Muerto was bathed in an intense flash of a light that man had only seen from the stars.
same. Few people laughed. Few people cried. Most people were silent. I remembered the line from the Hindu scripture, the Bhagavad Gita. Vishnu is trying to persuade the prince that he should do his duty and to impress him takes on his multi-armed form and says, now I am become death, the destroyer of worlds. I suppose we all thought that one way or another. The women peace campers at Grenham Common, England, claim that they were attacked by U.S. electromagnetic weapons from within the U.S. airbase. Scientists from Electronics Today measured some form of electromagnetic wave that was responsible for the illnesses they suffered. A team of doctors from the Medical Campaign Against Nuclear Weapons compiled a report on the condition of the affected women. The women first noticed a pattern of illness emerging in 1984. Women at different points around the camp appeared to experience similar symptoms at the same time, even though they were not in contact with one another. Large numbers of women complained of sudden feelings of extreme tiredness shortly before major events, such as the departure of a cruise missile convoy. Readings taken with a wide-range signal strength meter showed marked increases in the background signal level near one of the women's camps at the time they claimed to be experiencing ill effects, including vertigo, retinal bleeding, burnt face even at night, nausea, sleep disturbances, palpitations, loss of concentration, loss of memory, disorientation, severe headaches, temporary paralysis, faulty speech coordination, irritability, and a sense of panic in non-panic situations, and in one case, a circulatory failure that required emergency treatment. Many of these symptoms have been associated in medical literature with exposure to microwaves, and especially through low-intensity or non-thermal exposure. These effects have been reviewed by Dr. Robert Becker, twice nominated for the Nobel Prize and a specialist in electromagnetic effects. His report confirms that the symptoms mirror those he would expect to see had microwave weapons been deployed. British defense officials have denied any form of electronic signal was being used against the protesters. The Department of Justice Electromagnetic Weapons Program. The Department of Defense uses the Department of Justice to develop and test non-lethal weapons as an aspect of deniability because many of these applications violate existing treaties. By using the Department of Justice and classifying these programs as crowd control, they're able to avoid scrutiny and can violate the spirit of the law without technically being in violation of international treaties. In 1993, the National Institute of Justice Initiative on Less Than Lethal Weapons recommended that state and local police departments in America utilize psychotronic, electromagnetic, and other mind control weapons against American citizens involved in, quote, domestic disturbances, an open-ended term that could include family arguments. 
The report said, quote, short-term research will be completed to adopt military technology to use by domestic law enforcement, including laser microwave and electromagnetic weapons, unquote. The Washington Post reported, quote, the Pentagon and the DOJ have agreed to share state-of-the-art military technology with civilian law enforcement agencies, including exotic non-lethal weapons, unquote. This new approach to law enforcement was showcased in a three-day secret conference on non-lethal weaponry at the Applied Physics Laboratory at John Hopkins University in Maryland. The conference head was Colonel John B. Alexander, Program Manager for Non-Lethal Psychotronic Defense, Los Alamos National Laboratory. Attending the meeting was Attorney General Janet Reno, military weapons specialists, and representatives from state and local police departments. Subjects included radio frequency weapons, high-powered microwave technology, acoustic technology, voice synthesis, and application of extreme frequency electromagnetic fields to non-lethal weapons. Question about some of the technology that you're developing to fight the war on terror, specifically directed energy and high-powered microwave technology. Do you, uh, when do you envision that you can weaponize that type of technology? Goodness, um, it is. It is in, for the most part, the kinds of things you're talking about are in varying early stages. Do you want to give anything you'd add? I don't think I would add much. I. Mm -hmm. I I think they are in early stages and, and, and probably not ready uh, for employment at this point. But you sound like you're willing to experiment. I, I think that's the point. And I think and it's we, we have, I think, from the beginning of this conflict, I think General Franks has been very open to looking at uh, new things if there are new things available and has been, been willing to, to put them into the fight even before they've been fully wrung out. And I think that's uh, not referring to these two particular cases of directed energy or, or high-powered microwave. Uh, but just the head uh, was burned and uh, uh, other, the other parts of the, the bodies wasn't anything that happened on, on it. Al-Ghazali reported that he had seen three passengers in a car, all dead, with their faces and teeth burnt, the body intact, and no sign of projectiles. Uh, there wasn't any, any bullet. I saw they, they teeth, just they teeth, and um, no eyes, uh, all of them, with the body, nothing for the bodies, just the teeth and, and uh, all the, uh, I mean, uh, the heads uh, were uh, burned. There were other inexplicable aspects. The terrain where the battle took place was dug up by the American military and replaced with other fresh earth. The bodies that were not hit by projectiles had shrunk to just slightly more than one meter in height. Uh, except that uh, the bodies is uh, sculled by the bullets. Most of them that uh, become very small. Uh, I mean, uh, it's like, like that, something like that. talk with the colleague, Dr. Saad Al-Faluji, which is the chief surgeon in that hospital. Dr. Al-Faluji said me that from the survivors that he operated, 
that they said they did not hear any noise. So there was no explosion to hear, no metal fragments or shrapnels or bullets in the bodies. So they themselves were thinking of some strange kinds of weapon which they did not know. No gunshot wounds. No, no. I think, I don't know what it was. We couldn't, we are here, 10 uh, surgeons. We couldn't decide what was the weapon which been uh, hit this time. But inside the bodies, you did not discover ordinary bullets. All of them being, all, we didn't find bullets. Yeah. We didn't find bullets. But most of the uh, passenger people being dead. So they took them immediately to the uh, refrigerator. We couldn't decide that to see. But those, those who are alive, we couldn't find any kind of uh, shells. We didn't find shells inside their body. So outside, it seems to be a new and you and you are a new and you are a new and you the arms, the legs, the only one who didn't injure was the driver. And really, I don't know how he reached our hospital. Because one hand, one arm was in his lap. One head beside him. It was a very, very strange, horrible, horrible thing. In the roof of the car, there was part of the body, some intestine, brains. Yes, all parts of the body. It was a miserable, very, 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 very do you have idea with what kind of weapons they attacked that bus? This bus, we didn't know what kind of weapon uh, hit. Really, what we saw, cut arms, cut legs, cut head, abdomen, open abdomen. Intelligence agencies have infiltrated and created some satanic groups. With the resurgence of these groups beginning in 1966, particularly with the birth of the Church of Satan, founded by Anton LaVey. LaVey studied criminology in San Francisco and worked in the San Francisco Police Department Crime Lab. He also worked as an informant for Interpol. Prior to the Church of Satan, LaVey ran a group called the Magic Circle. LaVey's most famous associate is the National Security Agency General Michael Aquino. At the time of his membership in LaVey's group, Aquino was an army specialist in intelligence and psychological warfare. In 1973, he became the executive officer of the 306th Psychological Operations Battalion, contemporary with his founding of the Church of Set. General Michael Aquino wrote, From PSYOP to Mind War, The Psychology of Victory. Aquino's thesis stated that enemy populations could be subdued by inflicting a state of psychological terror and feelings of imminent destruction. He discusses the use of psychotronic weapons or electromagnetic weapons that influence the mind. Capitulation could be induced without firing a shot by extremely low frequency signals piggybacked on broadcasts of radio, 
TV, or microwave communications in order to influence and manipulate the thoughts and feelings of the target population. During the 1960s, he was prominent in the Church of Satan and a close friend of Anton LaVey until he started his own Church of Set. A police intelligence report dated July 1st, 1981 reads, quote, the Church of Set is a group of hundreds of members that operates on a national level. Michael Aquino is the official head and rules through a council of nine who are in fact his lieutenants, unquote. At least two members of the Council of Nine at that time were members of Army Intelligence. In the late 1980s, Aquino was accused by the San Francisco Police Department of being involved in a satanic child molestation ring centered on the daycare at the Presidio military base where Aquino was stationed at the time. Probable victims numbered at 68, many of whom had contracted venereal disease. 22 families filed $66 million in claims against the Army, claiming that criminal charges against Michael Aquino were dropped due to pressure from the Army. General Aquino admitted to renting the German castle where the Nazi SS were formed and reenacting the secret ceremony among fellow intelligence officers dressed in full Nazi regalia. General Aquino is now the highest ranking officer in the National Security Agency, along with General Black and General Hayden. It is important to remember that General Aquino is first and foremost a military intelligence officer with over 40 years experience in counterinsurgency operations and an expert in psychological warfare. General Aquino's psychological warfare campaign has started or infiltrated cults and other closed systems as part of a concerted effort to control large numbers of people and to destabilize the centers of constitutional and legal authority, both here in the United States and in other nations. This methodology is part of a concerted plan that spans several generations. The Church of Satan and the Church of Set, as well as other cults and mainstream organizations, are closed systems with their own belief systems that are insular and separate from the reality that most people take for granted. These closed systems allow large numbers of people to be manipulated into performing antisocial acts that most members of the greater society would not contemplate. Aquino first participated in MKUltra-related activities in Vietnam as part of the Phoenix program in the 1960s. These ongoing MKUltra operations are functioning as a counterinsurgency and infiltration operation aimed at destabilizing the United States and other industrialized nations. The following cults have been used by General Aquino or his associates to continue MKUltra operations outside of the laboratory. The mass suicides at Jonestown of 890 people had similar threads, a cult with sinister connections. Jim Jones, who had connections to the CIA, set up his utopian experiment on the same land the CIA had used to train mercenaries to fight in Angola. According to investigators, the Jonestown experiment was conceived of by Dr. Lawrence Laird Layton, staffed by him and financed by Layton. The African-American cult had at its core a Caucasian inner council composed of Layton and his family. Layton was a chemist in the Manhattan Project 
and head of the Army's Chemical Warfare Research Division in the 1950s. The People's Temple Cult took over the Mendocino State Hospital as a part of a government pilot project to evaluate the feasibility of deinstitutionalizing mental patients. After a reduction in state funding, most of the patients at the Mendocino State Psychiatric Hospital were released into the custody of the People's Temple. Congressman Leo Ryan was assassinated in his attempt to investigate the cult. The pathologist in Guyana reported 80 to 90% of the victims' bodies had fresh needle marks. Other victims had been shot or strangled. In 1981, the survivors sued the former head of the CIA for, quote, enhancing the economic and political powers of James Warren Jones, unquote, and of conducting mind control and drug experimentation on the Temple Flock. The Manson family was associated with the Process Church, which according to the Utah Department of Public Safety, moved to Southern Utah and changed their name to the foundation. In a 1990 internal memo authored by church authority Glenn L. Pace, allegations were made of ritual abuse and human sacrifice. Pace writes that he has met with 60 victims of ritual abuse, but there were probably two to three times as many victims. 53 were female and seven were male, eight of which were children. All are members of the Mormon church. 45 victims alleged they witnessed or participated in human sacrifice. The majority were abused by relatives. All had developed psychological problems such as multiple personality disorder. Quote, the memories come in layers. The first might be of incest. Another layer might well be the memory of seeing people hurt or even killed. Then they remember having seen babies killed. Another layer is realizing that they participated in the sacrifices. One of the most painful memories may be that they even sacrificed their own baby. I have only seen those coming forth to get help. They are in their 20s and 30s for the most part. I can only assume that it is expanding geometrically and am horrified by the numbers represented by the generation who are now children and teenagers, unquote. Dr. Joseph Mengele found that trauma bonding and mind control work best when the victim is forced to kill someone they love, usually a twin. The Franklin Conspiracy refers to a sexual blackmail operation and savings and loan fraud that began in Omaha, Nebraska in the early 1980s. Larry King, a 300-pound pedophile, operated a national child prostitution network that catered to wealthy patrons and Republican Party insiders. King was one of the fastest rising stars in the Republican Party. He sang the national anthem at the Republican convention in 1984 and 1988. King and his associates defrauded Franklin Savings and Loan of $40 million and used the residents of Boys Town and other children to videotape powerful and influential men and women engaged in sex acts with minors. These blackmail operations took place during fundraising parties for the Republican Party. 
Those involved stayed late for the after party that included drugs and sex with minors. The strategy of early MKUltra was to use sexual blackmail operations that targeted political figures in order to ensure continued funding from legislators. Victims who came forward testified that King and his associates performed satanic rituals and human sacrifices. Many of the children who came forward with their stories have since been murdered or imprisoned. The most prominent and vocal victim has been held in solitary confinement longer than any other person in Nebraska history. Larry King served two years for fraud and was promptly employed by his good friend, the editor of an Omaha newspaper. The Unification Church of Reverend Sung Young Moon had close connections to the KCA, the Korean Central Intelligence Agency, since its creation by the U.S. Central Intelligence Agency. Four of Moon's early leaders were Army officers with KCIA credentials and Moon's most influential aide, Dr. Bo Hai Pak, was liaison between the CIA and the KCIA making numerous trips to the NSA headquarters at Fort Meade, Maryland. Moon's church is fabulously rich with at least 600 front groups. It purchased the Washington Times newspaper for over a billion dollars. Moon has claimed that he is the reincarnation of Jesus, Buddha, and Mohammed. He preaches love, but attacks his critics mercilessly and uses the terminology of violence and apocalyptic revelation. In March of 2004 in Washington, D.C., the Reverend Moon was crowned as the Prince of Peace in a ceremony at the Dirksen Senate Office Building in the presence of 86 U.S. congressmen and 26 U.N. ambassadors. The Children of God cult in Argentina has been involved in ritual abuse of children for decades, but has evaded conviction despite voluminous, undeniable evidence and victim testimony. David Moses Berg founded the church in the 1970s and advocated using sex to entice new members into the church. Berg's own children and former members have stated that they were forced into sex between the ages of four and 10 years old with high-level church members. The victims also testified to a sexual blackmail and infiltration campaign aimed at some of the most powerful men in Europe, particularly in the media, legal community, and government. Powerful figures of political and financial support for the family include Libyan President Muammar Gaddafi, Chilean dictator Augusto Pinochet, and King Juan Carlos of Spain. The sect currently estimates its numbers at 300,000 converts in 60 countries. In 1992, the Family Children's Choir sang in the White House for Barbara Bush to kick off a Christmas show in the East Room. The sect also sang for George Bush Sr. after he toured the damage of Hurricane Andrew in South Florida. The Cult Awareness Network was founded two decades ago in the wake of the mass suicides in Guyana. They claim the lives of 890 of Jim Jones followers. The nonprofit national organization assisted the desperate loved ones of people caught up in the cult scene. The organizations targeted by CAN 
were the KKK, the Aryan Nations, dozens of obscure fundamentalist and evangelical Christian groups, the Church of Satan, the Moonies, followers of political extremist Lyndon LaRouche, and the Church of Scientology. An organized blizzard of lawsuits produced judgments totaling $5 million and led to Cannes' financial ruin. In 1996, their logo, furniture, and phone number were auctioned off by a bankruptcy judge. Scientology lawyers took possession of 20 years' worth of Cannes' highly sensitive case files containing information on thousands of people who had turned to Cannes for help in rescuing their friends and relatives. Scientology is known for harassing its enemies and retaliating against suppressives, people who ridicule Scientology teachings. These teachings include L. Ron Hubbard's decree that humans are made up of clusters of spirits called Thetans, who were banished to Earth about 75 million years ago by an evil galactic ruler named Xenu. Hubbard was a Pulp Fiction writer who served in the Navy and hit it big in 1950 by coming up with the concept of Dianetics that he dubbed a modern science of mental health that remained at the core of Scientology practice. One of its staples is a simplified lie detector called an E-meter, which is supposed to measure electrical changes in the skin while subjects discuss intimate details of their lives. Hubbard claimed that unhappiness sprang from mental aberrations called engrams and that counseling sessions with the E-meter could help rid them of them. Scientologists refer to the extensive and expensive process of clearing the mind in order for this to occur as auditing. But during the 1970s, the IRS conducted some auditing of its own and accused L. Ron Hubbard of skimming millions of dollars from the church, laundering it through dummy corporations, and stashing it in Swiss bank accounts. Although he died before the case was adjudicated, his wife and 10 other former church leaders went to prison in the early 1980s for infiltrating, burglarizing, and wiretapping dozens of private and government agencies in an attempt to block their investigations. The majority of Masons join and undergo rituals and rites that seem to have no meaning. It is only when they enter the highest levels, the circle within a circle, if you will, that the secret knowledge is shared as to what the organization and its rituals are really about. This knowledge is imparted to a select few who achieve 32nd degree status or higher. What these rites are and what this secret knowledge is has yet to be proven. The Masons are one of the most prominent links between victims of satanic ritual abuse. Victims of SRA are in effect victims of MKUltra experiments in childhood. Literally thousands of people from different parts of the country who have never been in contact with each other are telling essentially the exact same story. That as very young children, these people were forced to participate in satanic ritual abuse, including child rape and ritual sacrifice. The consistency of the stories the links to MKUltra and satanic ritual abuse seem to be a fantastic story at first, but victim testimony is very consistent, and the association of both programs to high-level Mason members has been repeated many times. 
Many of the personalities involved in the original MKUltra experiments were high-level Masons, including Dr. Sidney Gottlieb, Dr. George Estabrooks, Dr. Ewan Cameron, and others in the intelligence community. Masons have been accused of many things over the years, but it is equally likely that the Masons were infiltrated by CIA perpetrators of MKUltra in an effort to control a closed system and have access to experimental subjects. MKUltra was moved out of the laboratory and into these closed systems of various kinds that could be manipulated and used to supply large numbers of children for mind control experiments and blackmail operations without directly implicating the CIA. MKUltra and the False Memory Syndrome Foundation. Dr. Martin T. Orne is an original board member of the False Memory Syndrome Foundation, the FMSF, as well as a senior CIA researcher at the University of Pennsylvania's Experimental Psychiatry Laboratory. The FMSF was created to deny the existence of cult mind control and child abuse and is staffed with psychiatrists connected to the CIA and their mind control experimentation. The phenomenon of children being coached or led to invent tales of abuse or make up such stories does exist, but comprises a small minority of the reported cases of child abuse, between two and 8% of all reported cases. One survey found 88% of therapists considered ritual child abuse a very real social problem. Only 5% of all child abuse cases ever enter the courtroom Half of these end with the child returned to the custody of the abusive parent. Dr. Orne's research into hypnoprogramming at Cornell University in the 1960s was paid for by the Human Ecology Fund, which also funded some of Dr. Ewan Cameron's brainwashing and remote mind control experimentation. CIA-funded black psychiatry at that time specialized in electroshock lobotomies, drugging agents, incapacitants, hypnosis, sleep deprivation, and radio control of the brain. The FMSF founder, Dr. Ralph Underwager, and his wife openly advocate pedophilia, saying that it is God's will adults engage in sex with children. Underwager told a British reporter in 1994, quote, that scientific evidence proved 60% of all women molested as children believed the experience was good for them. Dr. Underwager is the world's foremost authority on false memory, but in court is repeatedly revealed as a charlatan. Numerous other members of the FMSF have connections to pedophilia, covert operations, and black psychiatry. Peter and Pamela Freyd, executive directors of the FMSF, have been accused of child abuse by their daughter, a professor of psychology at the University of Oregon. The industrial production of FMSF stories in journals, newspapers, and TV have shaped public opinion. The very concept of false memory serves the same purpose as Holocaust denial. The major crimes are obstructed. The accused wears the veil of a martyr, and the victim is reviled. Dr. Douglas Besheroff is director of the American Enterprise Institute and former director of the National Center of Child Abuse and Neglect. He writes articles that attack the victims of abuse 
and has been caught fabricating statistics when claiming scientific rationale for his claims. In 1986, Besharov published Unfounded Allegations, A New Child Abuse Problem, and numerous other cover stories to confuse the issue. These individuals are engaged in a psychological warfare operation to cover up reports of the agency's mind control operations. For years, the CIA collaborated with cults, many of them founded by the government, in order to conceal the development of mind control technology. Dr. Besharov associated with Irving Kristol, a veteran CIA psychological warfare specialist. Ritual abuse skeptics with CIA connections are covering up the latest phase in CIA-sponsored mind control experimentation. The McMartin Preschool. In preparation for the McMartin Preschool child abuse trial, 389 toddlers were interviewed. Nearly all of them described abuse at the preschool and due to this day. Some 80% had physical symptoms, including blunt force trauma of sexual areas, scarring, rectal bleeding, and sexual diseases. Paul and Shirley Eberly published the only two books available on the case, The Politics of Child Abuse, 1986. They achieved national status as child abuse experts. In courts of law, their work is frequently cited. They lecture widely to receptive audiences and have been speakers at a conference held by victims of child abuse laws, vocal. These two individuals ran an underground tabloid, Finger, in the 1970s. Finger delved heavily into sadomasochistic sex, sex with children, and sex acts involving human excrement. These two pedophiles seek to portray every abuser as a victim of mass hysteria, satanic panic, and witch hunts. They are just two of many. The parents of the McMartin preschoolers hired scientists and technicians who unearthed a series of underground tunnels beneath the school, confirming the children's testimony. The longest tunnel was 45 feet long and six feet below the school, with a nine-foot chamber spoken of by the children. Another branch led to the triplex next door, surfacing beneath a rollaway bathtub. Forensic tests on thousands of objects found at the site included 200 animal bones. The tunnels were dug in 1966, the year of the school's construction, by the father of the defendant, Charles Bucky. Bucky built a school and worked for Hughes Tool Company. There is an old adage, Hughes is the CIA. Pick it up, put it in this bag. That's right, the next will be a small, harmless snake. Pick it up behind the head. That's right. And put it in here. That's right. All the way, make sure it's in. That's right. And now there'll be a large snake, which you'll pick up behind the head. Behind the head. Quickly. That's right, your eyes are closing now, just sinking deeper. And as I ask you to open your eyes, eyes, you're going to be aware that there's a beaker in front of you. Do not touch the beaker. 
and there will be two other beakers also in front of you. If you look at that, it's all right to open your eyes now. You'll see the beakers. Now I want you to focus on this beaker, because shortly I'll ask you to do something. This beaker, you want to be careful of because it is filled with acid. It is nitric acid. You've had chemistry, haven't you? And you know that nitric acid dissolves copper. I'm going to put a penny into the acid. Look what happens. Now I want you to reach in with your hand and pick up the penny out of the acid and put it into the speaker. Take it very quickly. Go ahead. Put it in there. That's right. First, put your whole hand and close your eyes. Nothing else at all. Nothing else at all. Only my voice. Nothing else at all. That's right. That's right. All right. Now I want you to put your hand in this speaker. That's right. Only my voice. Nothing else at all. That's right. Now, when you open your eyes, you're going to be aware that the beaker is still there in front of you. But beside you, you'll be aware that there's a man who's been responsible for all of the nuisance today, all of the discomfort. And you're going to become more and more annoyed at him as you think about that. In fact, you're going to take, pick up the beaker and throw the contents right at him. You're going to take the beaker and you'll feel good doing that. All right, and you'll do it quickly. Open your eyes, you'll see the beak in front of you. Pick it up and throw it out. Throw it out. That's it. As you saw, we changed the acid for colored water while the subject's eyes were closed. The subject not only couldn't see this, but wasn't really aware of it because the smell of the acid was strong enough in the area to be quite compelling. Yet she threw the acid, what she thought was acid, at someone else. But in the same token, she picked up the rattlesnake and she was willing to take a penny out of the fuming acid. The reason why you, she did it, however, was not so much the fact that she was hypnotized, but the fact that she knew that I couldn't afford to have anybody be hurt and I wouldn't want anybody to be hurt. And for that reason, she trusted me. And it was the trust that mattered. I decided that I liked Anton LaVey. He was a pleasant man. He believed in what he was doing. And underneath his uh, somewhat Mardi Gras exterior, I sensed that there was an individual who uh, did in fact have a new perspective on the human equation, on what humanity is. The Trojan Horse. The Athenians laid siege to Troy for many years and then abruptly departed, leaving the Trojan horse. The prophet Laocoon warned the city that the Trojan horse held their doom. He hurled his javelin into the side of the Trojan horse and was attacked by a giant multi-headed serpent that emerged from the sea and pulled he and his sons into the sea to their deaths. The inhabitants took this as an omen to mean that the Trojan horse was a gift from the gods and thus sacred. They brought the offering inside the city gates and at night the Athenians emerged, opened the gates to their awaiting army and the city was sacked and destroyed. The men killed and the women and children enslaved. The Nazi Trojan horse. 
Nazi Germany personifies the technological totalitarian state and serves as a model. The subjugation of the Weimar Republic began with the creation of private militias that were used as a springboard to infiltrate the German military and finally the police force. Once the German police forces were co-opted, there was no going back. The Reichstag fire was an excuse to seize power and carry out the night of the long knives, the execution of hundreds of internal political rivals, opponents, and potential threats. Once Hitler had crossed the Rubicon of mass assassination, he publicly declared his actions above the law. The pseudoscience of eugenics, the dogma of German racial superiority, and the theoretical subhuman level of other races was the rationale for wars of annihilation. Hitler's plan was to depopulate vast regions of the East and replace them with Germanic stock. Lebensraum, or living space, was the key phrase. 10 million Jews came under their geographical control, of which 6 million were systematically murdered in an effort to wipe out the Jewish race. 3 million others perished in the camps, including gypsies, Slavs, and other supposed subhuman races, as well as homosexuals, dissident Catholic priests, prisoners of war, union leaders, political opponents, Germans caught aiding Jews, religious sects such as Jehovah's Witnesses, and the intellectuals of conquered nations. The concentration camp of Auschwitz processed 4,756 human beings a day. The Nazi propaganda was so irresistible that many Jews and other targeted groups joined the Nazi movement. In the aftermath of the war, 50 million people had died, and Europe lay in ashes. The Allies wanted answers. How had arguably the most civilized and technologically advanced nation on Earth descended into the pit of hell? Who were these men? Were they madmen? Worst of all, if it could happen there, could it happen here? The psychiatrists that studied the prisoners at the Nuremberg trials wrote their collective portrait. Their collective IQ is 140. They have a rigid view of the world, black and white without gray. They were born followers who needed someone to tell them what to think. Though they had unusual personalities among them, they were not insane. The answers the Allies received were not the answers they were prepared to hear. No, they were not madmen. And yes, it could happen here. The psychiatrist noted that there were plenty of similar individuals in the United States who would gladly step over half the bodies of their fellow countrymen to control the remainder. Remote viewing programs were publicly touted as an attempt to spy on the USSR using psychic powers to find hidden Russian bases and gather intelligence information. The military intelligence personalities involved in remote viewing have ties to development programs for microwave and radio frequency radiation weapons that are designed to influence the central nervous system, referred to collectively as psychotronics. These personalities have ties to religious cults as well.
Remote viewing began with Operation Scanate and Operation Grill Flame, run by the NSA and INSCOM at Fort Meade under such personalities as Lieutenant Colonel Thomas Bearden, Albert Stubblebine, Ingo Swan, Ed Dames, Harold Putoff, Russell Targ, Paul Smith, and others. Operation Scanate leader Thomas Bearden went on to lead the American Psychotronics Association. Project Grill Flame leaders Ed Dames and Albert Stubblebine began SciTech Corporation, a private remote viewing company which holds the Smirnoff patent for a psychotronic weapon. Remote viewers Harold Putoff and Ed Dames have counseled the traumatized victims of death cults and mass shootings, such as the Jonestown mass deaths and the Columbine shootings, even though these men are not counselors, but physicists and military intelligence officers by training. Dr. Harold Putoff exemplifies the contradiction. He is a former NSA officer who developed the pulse microwave laser. He is a remote viewer and a high-level Scientologist who likes to counsel traumatized victims of cults. The concept of remote viewing is being used as a cover, a psychological warfare operation in order to screen the development of psychotronic weapons and conduct MKUltra operations. The same people involved in remote viewing programs for the NSA and INSCOM at Fort Meade and SciTech Corporation are also closely tied with psychotronic weapons development and religious cults that use MKUltra methodology to induce multiple personality disorder. These strange threads, such as non-lethal psychotronic weapons development, remote viewing operations, and cults engaged in ritual abuse are all woven together, suggesting that MKUltra and non-lethal psychotronic weapons development have evolved into an elaborate psychological warfare campaign that functions as an infiltration operation and a counterinsurgency aimed at the people and government of the United States. COINTELPRO stands for Counterintelligence Program, primarily run by the FBI as a covert action program against domestic dissidents. The use of infiltration, psychological warfare, harassment through the legal system, and the use of extra-legal force and violence, including murder, probably began in the 1950s and is now a permanent feature of U.S. government. Targets included the Civil Rights Movement, the Women's Rights Movement, the Anti-War Movement, the Environmental Movement, opposition political parties, and basically any progressive group in American society. The Senate and congressional hearings into the activities of the FBI and CIA were crushed. The Senate committee's report was edited by the agencies being investigated before its publication. The House committee's report, including an account of FBI and CIA obstruction of its inquiry, was suppressed altogether. Senator Church and Congressman Pike, the committee chairs, were both targeted in their re-election campaigns by the intelligence agencies and defeated, their careers destroyed. The Freedom of Information Act did open up access to FBI documents, and lawsuits forced the release of some COINTEL files to the media, but the most important files were withheld or destroyed, 
And former operatives report that the most heinous crimes were never committed to writing. William C. Sullivan, who ran the COINTEL program in the 1960s, was killed in a 1977 hunting accident shortly before giving testimony to a grand jury in 1977. The only two FBI officials who were ever prosecuted for COINTELPRO crimes were quickly pardoned by President Ford. There was an appearance of reform that was largely aimed at placating a weary public that had become disillusioned after Watergate. The most prominent target of COINTELPRO in the 1960s was Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., who received a blackmail letter from J. Edgar Hoover that detailed the existence of Dr. King's extramarital affairs and suggested he should suicide himself to preclude the release of the material to the press and its negative effect on his family and his movement. The surveillance of Dr. King included the 112th Military Intelligence Unit and even the use of U-2 spy planes to take photographs. Dr. King was marked barely a month before his murder for elimination as a potential messiah who could unify and electrify the black movement. The FBI planned to replace him, quote, in his role of the leadership of the Negro people with conservative black lawyer Samuel Pierce, who was later named to Ronald Reagan's cabinet. The theme of forced suicide is repeated on others targeted by COINTELPRO. Jean Seberg was an actress involved in civil rights. Her husband received a forged letter from the FBI detailing a fictitious affair she was supposedly having with a black activist. The actress was pregnant at the time and attempted suicide, had a miscarriage, and eventually did commit suicide. Forced suicide on a COINTELPRO target allows intelligence agencies deniability for the crime. In effect, it is the perfect crime. A total of 2,300 officially approved COINTEL actions were admitted to the Senate Intelligence Committee, but thousands more have since been revealed. Ultimately, FBI documents disclose six major programs. FBI operatives were directed to disrupt meetings of targeted groups, spread rumors, inflame disagreements over what people normally fight over, money, politics, race, gender, sex, and to exacerbate rivalries and jealousy, to lead activists into unnecessary danger, and to set them up for false prosecutions. False news stories, forged documents, and anonymous letters and phone calls, as well as pressure on landlords and their employers, make up just some of the strategies used against activists. The major violence of the domestic terrorist campaign was directed at the black nationalists and American Indian movements. These individuals were readily imprisoned on false charges or assassinated. British commander Frank Kitson first codified counterinsurgency operations theory in his book, Low Intensity Operations, Subversion, Insurgency, and Peacekeeping. And he insists that infiltration and psychological operations be mounted against dissident groups in normal times before any mass movement can develop. These tactics were adopted into COINTELPRO against American citizens in peacetime, with considerable energy spent ensuring that the different progressive groups did not link up and cooperate. Specifically, the anti-war movement, composed of suburban white youth and the black nationalist movement. There was also a major effort to preclude African-American leaders from linking up with leaders in Africa. 
Infiltration of the KKK by the FBI reached 10 to 20% of its membership at the height of the civil rights struggle. And these assets, along with neo-Nazi party members, were used to attack civil rights workers and activists. COINTEL operations are presently being incorporated into the development of microwave and radio frequency radiation weapons. Dissidents that in the past were visibly attacked or assassinated in a traditional manner are now targeted for elimination using electromagnetic weapons. These internal dissidents are used as human guinea pigs and experimental subjects in terminal experiments that are designed to force a suicide, incarceration, or premature death due to the effects of ionizing and non-ionizing radiation. These political assassinations are accomplished with invisible bullets that leave no obvious injuries. The driving of a target to suicide using microwave hearing as well as other techniques is perfectly deniable because these individuals are tormented invisibly, unable to seek help from the psychiatric community due to the symptoms of the attacks mimicking symptoms of schizophrenia that naturally affects several million Americans. Thus, the intelligence agencies have achieved perfect deniability for their crimes. CIA blowback. If the U.S. intelligence agencies are currently engaged in war crimes using directed energy weapons, it would be logical to expect a pattern of prior behaviors that exhibits similar criminal activity. It is certain that the United States has destabilized dozens of countries and overthrown their elected governments. Just how many countries is uncertain. In Iran, in 1953, the Eisenhower administration joined forces with British intelligence to overthrow the government of Iran, which was seeking a larger share of its country's oil revenues. CIA Director Alan Dulles and Kermit Roosevelt, the son of FDR, were able to direct Iranian army officers in a coup to overthrow Mossadegh, the elected government, and reinstall the fictitious monarchy of the Shah. The Shah immediately granted British Petroleum a 40% share of the oil concession, and American firms received 40% as a reward for their participation. The overthrow of Mossadegh emboldened the CIA and became a blueprint for future destabilization operations. Mossadegh represented the legitimate aspirations of a nationalist democracy that was thwarted in the name of anti-communism. The resulting chaos and radicalization of Iran is a direct result of interference in the internal affairs of that nation. What is referred to as blowback, the unintended negative consequences of covert actions against foreign elected governments. The Shah was described in a confidential CIA report as a dangerous sociopath who suffered from a dominating father and a sense of the illegitimacy of his mandate to rule. Savak was the name of the Shah's feared secret police set up with the help of the CIA. The excesses of the Shah and the American-selected and trained Savak led to the emergence of the Ayatollah Khomeini and a hostile regime that views the U.S. as a force for evil in the world, hence the litany of referring to the United States as the Great Satan. Guatemala. In 1954, the CIA accepted and carried out a proposal from United Brands, Chiquita Banana to overthrow the Guatemalan government, which was the only democratically elected government Guatemala had ever had. 
United Brands and the CIA replaced that government with 40 years of bloodshed under a series of barbaric right-wing dictators. U.S. taxpayers continue to fund these regimes under the repeated threat that if they do not, the Guatemalan people will fall prey to communism. A mere 2% of the population owned 72% of the land. 90% of the landowners were confined to the poorest 15% of the land. United Brands owned the railroads, the ports, and vast tracts of some of the most productive land on earth. Guatemalan President Arbenz had won the election with 65% of the vote in 1950. He tried to fulfill his mandate, which was land reform and a minimum wage modeled on FDR's efforts in the U.S. He seized the largest land holdings, including his own families, and distributed 1.5 million acres to 100,000 families. The land was paid for in 25-year interest-bearing bonds, perfectly within the guidelines of the Kennedy-era Alliance for Progress program, or U.S. programs in El Salvador and Chile. The only difference were the investments by United Brands and the political influence they could bring to bear on the Arbenz government. In 1966, a swell of revolution brought a full-scale U.S.-sponsored counterinsurgency response program including arms, advisors, and even Green Berets. A State Department study analyzed the program years later and stated, quote, to eliminate a few hundred guerrillas, the government killed perhaps 10,000 Guatemalan peasants. Father Ronald Hennessy wrote of one event among many. July 14, 1982, the local military commander sent word for all the people of the village of Pinatinac to be assembled for his 11 o'clock arrival. At 4 p.m., all of the men with their hands tied behind their backs were escorted by the soldiers into one house, shot, stabbed, and piled one on top of the other and covered with burnable items from the house, which were sprinkled with gasoline and set on fire. The women were treated the same as the men, differing only in that some had live babies on their backs when they were stacked for burning. The other children were tied one to another and pulled alive into the flames of a third house by the soldiers. In September of 1981, an association of Guatemalan coroners had complained that they couldn't keep up with the demand for autopsies because violent deaths had increased so rapidly, 50% higher each month than the last. Michael Deaver was instrumental in the election of Ronald Reagan in 1980 and one of his three close advisors, along with Ed Meese and James Baker. His public relations firm, Deaver and Hannaford, took on various right-wing Central and South American landowners and businessmen as clients, among them, a group of Guatemalans. Uh, was not a Guatemalan government. Uh, it was a foreign government controlled by foreigners. That, that, that happened just here in the continent, right here in America. Iraq. In Iraq in 1958, General Abdel Karim Qasim led a coup, took power, and proclaimed a republic. He legalized the Communist Party and decreed land reform, granting autonomy to the Kurds. CIA Director Alan Dulles declared Iraq, quote, the most dangerous spot in the world, and in 1963, the CIA-supported Ba'ath Party overthrew Qasim. The Ba'ath Party shared power until 1968, when the CIA again instigated a coup that culminated in the rise of Saddam Hussein. 
Hussein had been on the CIA payroll since his early 20s. In 1980, Saddam invaded Iran in fear of the potential Iranian revolutionary influence among his country's majority Shiites. Iran began to win the war in 1982, and the U.S., in fear of the Iranian revolution, began to covertly aid and arm Saddam. The Reagan administration funneled $5.5 billion through the Atlanta branch of the Italian bank Banca Nazionale de Lavaro, guaranteed by the taxpayers under the Commodity Credit Corporation to, quote, promote American farm exports, unquote. Between 1986 and 1989, 73 transactions took place that included bacterial cultures for anthrax production, advanced computers, and equipment to repair jets and rockets. In 2002, Iraq was forced to deliver an 11,800-page dossier on the history of its weapons program to the UN Security Council. Bush administration officials took possession of the document first and cut 8,000 pages that detailed American and Western company sales of weapons and dual-use technology sold to Iraq prior to 1991. The legacy of the NSA Act of 1947 that established the national security state had the obvious consequences of the overthrow of dozens of legitimately elected foreign governments during the Cold War. The unintended consequences of blowback has led to a more hostile environment for U.S. national interest in the 21st century. But it has led to other less obvious consequences to the American Republic itself. The power of the U.S. intelligence agencies to overthrow foreign governments at will has also impacted the domestic American political landscape. The ability to destabilize the world almost at will has conferred the same ability to these agencies in American politics. For men with this kind of power, the temptation to play God on the American landscape and to control the future direction and fate of the United States has been irresistible. The temptation to use public power and play God is almost irresistible. The Golden Triangle. In China in 1949, the communists under Mao Zedong drove out the U.S.-backed nationalist warlord Chiang Kai-shek with his defeated army, the KMT, the Kuomintang. They fled to the Golden Triangle and to Taiwan. Within the Golden Triangle, they took over opium production to finance weapons purchases and the finer things in life. By the 1950s, heroin had become a nationwide concern in the United States, from Senate hearings to popular movies Criminologists blamed addicts for soaring crime rates. These KMT operations were hidden from the U.S. public for 30 years, and it is only recently Afghanistan has captured 90% of the world heroin market. The U.S. exploited the Hmong and Montagnard tribesmen as a source of opium and used the CIA's Air America to bring in guns and supplies in exchange for drugs. Large quantities of heroin appeared in the United States much of it smuggled inside the bodies of dead American GIs. Addiction plagued the army in Vietnam to the point of reducing their fighting capacity, and after the war, these men brought their drug problem home with them. The U.S. government promoted the drug traffic and intervened to make sure traffic would not be discovered. In the words of one former investigator, quote, you'd be running a criminal investigation, say narcotics, You'd find out that Inspector so-and-so of your national police is involved in this. 
you investigate up to a point and you can't go any further. It would go to our headquarters and then it would go to Washington and nothing would ever happen. The intelligence gleaned from these people was more important than stopping the drug traffic. The senior public relations man for the DEA offers the explanation, quote, their mission was to get people to fight against the communists, not to stop the drug traffic. Iran-Contra. A secret program by the Reagan administration circumvented Congress and illegally sold weapons to Iran, a terrorist nation, in order to pay for a guerrilla war against the Sandinista Nicaraguan government. When the operation was uncovered, it also uncovered an off-the-books operation that, in the words of Senator Daniel Inouye, was a secret government with its own permanent funding mechanism and its own army, navy, and air force. The exposure of the Iran-Contra operation revealed the tip of the iceberg. Admiral Richard Secord ran a many-faceted program that concentrated on banking fraud, drug smuggling, and illegal arms dealing by officers and former officers of the U.S. military. Oliver L. North, a Marine Lieutenant Colonel, was assigned to the National Security Council staff beginning in 1981 until he was fired in 1986. North was the White House official most directly involved in secretly aiding the Contras, selling arms to Iran, and diverting Iran arms sales proceeds to the Contras. North was Deputy Director for Political Military Affairs and reported to his superior National Security Advisor, Robert C. McFarland, and later, John M. Poindexter. He claimed to have taken much of his direction from Central Intelligence Agency Director William Casey. North testified repeatedly that he believed President Reagan was aware and approving of his activities. North was indicted in 1988 on 16 Iran-Contra charges. He was found guilty on three counts. His convictions were vacated in 1990 when an appeals court found that witnesses in his trial were prejudiced by his immunized congressional testimony. Many figures that came under criminal investigation and prosecution in Iran-Contra, like John Poindexter, Elliot Abrams, Richard Armitage, Dick Cheney, Otto Reich, Colin Powell, and John Negroponte returned to serve in both Bush administrations without serious challenge from Congress. The Contras and the Crips, a San Francisco Bay Area drug ring sold tons of cocaine to the Crips and Blood street gangs of Los Angeles, funneled millions in profits directly to the Contra guerrillas run by the Central Intelligence Agency. This drug network opened the first pipeline between Colombia's cocaine cartels and the black neighborhoods of Los Angeles, a city now known as the crack capital of the world. Gary Webb broke the story that no other major newspaper would run and was found murdered in what can only be described as a staged suicide. We had contra pilots flying out of Ilopango uh, smuggling uh, drugs into the U.S., cocaine specifically. For America, bound for military airfields in Florida and Texas, offloaded out of sight of the law, 
then shipped to California and other points in the U.S. Point blank, stay away from it. It's a covert operation being run by the White House. In the highest councils of our government, in the White House and in the Justice Department, there is no question of that. I can document that. Turns up wrongdoing. If it turns up wrongdoing, we will bring the people to justice and make them accountable. The Russian Mind Control Program, Controlled Offensive Behavior, USSR, is a 1972 U.S. Army study of Soviet mind control experimentation. The Russian Directed Energy Weapons Program focused on targeting of individuals, not groups. Soviet dissidents were the target of microwave anti-personnel weapons and mind-altering techniques that sought, quote, the total submission of one's will to some outside force. Electromagnetic weapon mind control surfaced in the 1973 Russian Conference on Psychotronic Research. The agenda for the Prague meeting included the following five topics, erasure of the subconscious mind, development of ESP, induction of paranormal effects in dreams, the mechanical equivalent of neuropsychic energy, and the psi gene. The Soviets were known to have potent blinding lasers. They were also feared to have developed acoustic and radio wave weapons. A 1987 issue of Soviet military power, a Cold War Pentagon publication, warned that the Soviets might be close to, quote, a prototype short range tactical radio frequency weapon. The Washington Post reported that year that the Soviets had used such weapons to kill goats at one kilometer's range. The Pentagon, it turns out, had been pursuing similar devices since the 1960s. The Russian capability demonstrated in a series of laboratory experiments dating back to the mid-1970s could be used to suppress riots, control dissidents, demoralize or disable opposing forces, and enhance the performance of friendly special operations teams. Pioneered by government-funded Department of the Psychocorrection at the Moscow Academy Medical Academy, acoustic psychocorrection involves the transmission of specific commands via static or white noise bands into the human subconscious without upsetting other intellectual functions. Experts said laboratory demonstrations have shown encouraging results after exposure of less than one minute. Decades of research and development and millions of rubles have produced the ability to alter behavior on willing and unwilling subjects. In an effort to restrict potential misuse of this capability, senior Russian research scientists, diplomats, military officials, and officials of the Russian Ministry of Higher Education, Science and Technology Policy are beginning to provide limited demonstrations for their U.S. counterparts. Further evaluations of key technologies in the U.S. are being planned, and discussions are aimed at creating a framework for bringing the issue under bilateral and multilateral control. Yet these military capabilities have remained largely unknown to the U.S. and Russian public. The Department of Psychocorrection at the Moscow Medical Academy acknowledged the potential danger of this capability. The Russian experts, including George Katov, a former KGB general now serving in a senior government ministry post present in the report a list of software and hardware associated with their psychocorrection program 
that could be procured for as little as $80,000. According to General Katov, quote, as far as it has become possible to probe and correct psychic contents of human beings despite their will and consciousness by instrumental means, results having been achieved can get out of our control and be used with inhuman purposes for manipulating the collective psyche, unquote. The Russian authors note that world opinion is not ready for dealing appropriately with the problems coming from the possibility of direct access to the human mind. Therefore, the Russian authors have proposed a bilateral center for psychocorrection technologies where U.S. and Russia can monitor and restrict the emerging capabilities. Dr. Igor Smirnov, a Russian expert on non-lethal weapons, was brought to the U.S. for a series of meetings in Virginia in 1993. The meetings were attended by representatives of the CIA, DIA, FBI, and ARPA. Civilians included representatives of the National Institute of Mental Health and directors of biomedical research. Dr. Smirnov and his non-lethal weapons technology was brought to Waco during the Branch Davidian siege in 1993 in hopes of using them on David Koresh. But a software problem reportedly made this impossible and Smirnov could not guarantee its safety. A firm called Psychotechnologies Incorporated based in Richmond, Virginia, entered into an agreement with the Russians to share and develop this technology for American use. Dr. Smirnov died of a heart attack in 2005, and his patent is now held exclusively by Psychotechnologies Corporation. SciTech is controlled by Colonel John B. Alexander, NSA General Michael Aquino, and Lieutenant Colonel Albert Stubblebein, among others. He needs the money. This is called computerized psychotechnology. First, we gather information from the subconscious. Then we determine how a specific personality works. Officially for psychiatric use, this device was born of the long-standing Soviet effort to get inside the head of the enemy. At normal speed, the numbers on the screen appear meaningless. But when we slowed down our video frame by frame, we found subliminal flashes of words. Words like fear and neurosis. These words trigger electrical activity responses in the brain and reveal private anxieties and other weaknesses. And this command, which is brought in bypassing the consciousness, has the same effect as a commandment. It's like a word of God. So we simply cannot disobey it. So we said, well, what are the applications? And they said, well, they had tested um, with a simple phrase, bring us cake, and that they had piped that bring us cake in white noise up to the ground level, masquerading as just machinery noise. And both the workmen outside and their colleagues who worked on the ground level within 24 hours had come at different times of the day, bringing them cake. MKUltra Unclassified. The military financed all scientific research into development of directed energy weapons. After decades, when progress was on the horizon, the research became classified. The public program was shut down and restarted in conditions of absolute secrecy. 
The published scientific papers that concerned potential weapons and even bioelectric medicine were reduced to a trickle, but occasional information about their existence continued to emerge. The work of Dr. Michael Persinger, Igor Smirnoff, Robert Becker, Eldon Bird, James Lynn, Andre Puhark, Ross Addy, Jose Delgado, Bill Van Bees, Herman Schwann, and others present sufficient evidence of the existence of these weapons. The earliest work on the effects of electromagnetic weapons on humans was done by Nikola Tesla in the early 1900s. The earliest antipersonnel electromagnetic weapons can be traced to the early to mid-1940s and possibly earlier. The first reference is existent in the U.S. Strategic Bombing Survey that reviewed Japanese research and development efforts into a death ray. Human beings, prisoners of war, were used in terminal experiments in the laboratory. Summarizing the Japanese efforts after World War II, Allied scientists concluded that a death ray apparatus might be developed that could kill unshielded human beings at a distance of 5 to 10 miles. Research on living organisms revealed that waves from 2 meters to 60 centimeters in length caused hemorrhage of the lungs, whereas waves shorter than 2 meters destroyed brain cells. Dr. Andre Puharik studied the effects of radio waves on animals at Northwestern University in the late 1940s. He later founded a laboratory called Roundtable Foundation of Electrobiology. Puharik was employed at the Army's Chemical and Biological Warfare Center at Fort Detrick, Maryland, researching the effects of LSD for the CIA in 1954. Puharik perfected the radio tooth implant a small little relay receiver and transmitter. Dr. Alan Fry, a biophysicist at GE's Advanced Electronics Center, Cornell University, and a contractor for the Office of Naval Research, discovered in 1958 that the human auditory system responds to electromagnetic energy in a portion of the radio frequency spectrum at low power densities, well below that necessary for biological damage. Quote, the human auditory system and a table radio may be one order of magnitude apart in sensitivity to radio frequency energy. Dr. Fry proposed stimulating the nervous system without the damage caused by electrodes. He wrote two papers, Microwave Auditory Effect and Applications and Human Auditory Response to Modulated Electromagnetic Energy. Alan Fry experimented with microwaves, seeking to transmit spoken words directly into the audio cortex via a pulsed microwave analog of the speaker's sound vibration. Fry's work in this field gave rise to the so-called Fry effect, which is now more commonly referred to as microwave hearing. Fry's work had obvious implications for covert operations. He synchronized pulsed microwaves with the myocardial rhythm of a frog's heart and the heart stopped beating. Dr. Fry had perfected the induction of heart seizures by beamed electromagnetics. He microwaved cats and found that the stimulation of the hypothalamus had a powerful effect on emotions. Fry found that human subjects exposed to 1300 megahertz to 3000 megahertz microwaves at average power densities of 0.4 to 2 milliwatts per centimeter perceived auditory sounds. The peak power densities were on the order of 200 to 300 milliwatts per centimeter. 
and the pulse repetition frequencies vary between 200 to 400 hertz. Fry referred to this auditory phenomenon as radio frequency sound. The sensation occurred instantaneously at average incident power densities well below that necessary for known biological damage and appeared to originate from within or near the back of the head. Dr. Fry was reluctant to experiment on humans, but others, particularly paperclip scientists, were not. Dr. Michael Persinger, a psychologist and neuroscientist, did research on the effects of electromagnetic radiation on the brain for a Pentagon weapons project. He has worked in the field for 40 years and funded by the Navy and reportedly by the NSA as well. Dr. Persinger perfected a means to make experimental subjects feel that they had been abducted by aliens or had an encounter with angels or God through the use of a modified motorcycle helmet equipped with solenoids to send electromagnetic pulses through the frontal lobes of the brain. Quote, human experience of God can be generated by a process that has nothing to do with whether God exists or not. Dr. Persinger published the paper on the possibility of directly accessing every human brain by electromagnetic induction of fundamental algorithms, 1995. Quote, a process which is coupled to the narrow band of brain temperature could allow all normal human brains to be affected by a subharmonic whose frequency range at 10 hertz would vary only by 0.1 hertz. Random variations of noise within the matrices could potentially differentiate between individual brains. In other words, individuals could be identified by the specific characteristics of their brain output. He goes on further. Identification of these sequences could also allow direct access to the most complex neurocognitive processes associated with the self, human consciousness, and the aggregate of experimental representations, in other words, episodic memory, that define the individual within the brain. In other words, a person's memory, consciousness, and sense of self can be fully accessed and modified by electromagnetic means, especially a person's personality can be completely shaped, much like the research of Dr. Ewan Cameron, who sought to do so by more primitive means. Dr. Persinger says the brain processes can be circumvented by direct induction of this information within the brain. The basic premise is that the synthetic duplication of the neuroelectrical correlates generated by the sensors to an actual stimulus should produce identical experiences without the presence of that stimulus. What Dr. Persinger is saying is that virtually any mental state can be artificially injected into a human brain from an exterior source. The most frightening thing is that the means for doing this already exists in a fully operational form on a worldwide basis. Quote, the power levels for these amplitudes are similar to those associated with the signals generated globally by radio and communication system. Within the last two decades, a potential has emerged which was improbable, but which is now marginally feasible. This potential is the technical capability to influence directly the major portion of the approximately 6 billion brains of the human species by generating neural information within a physical medium within which all members of the species are immersed, unquote. Dr. Persinger's message, minus the jargon, is that the entire human race can be controlled through the use of electromagnetic influence piggybacked on television and radio networks or other technological means. Effectively, all consciousness is due to electromagnetic patterns generated within the brain. 
what we do is imitate what the brain normally does and apply it experimentally. Like, you know, where are these thoughts coming from? Those thoughts came from the Neuroscience Laboratory at Laurentian University in Sudbury, Ontario. The Strategic Defense Initiative. The Star Wars program routinely falsified research data according to military sources at the time. Quote, we would lose hundreds of millions of dollars in Congress if we did not perform our tests successfully. We put a beacon with a certain frequency on the target vehicle. On the interceptor, we had a receiver. The hit looked beautiful, so Congress did not ask questions. The very idea of Star Wars an umbrella that would shield America from Soviet nuclear warheads was itself a massive deception. No knowledgeable scientist thought for a minute such a shield was feasible, yet the Pentagon proceeded with this fraud and faked other tests in 1990 and 1991 after the Soviet threat had disappeared. Edward Teller was charged with falsifying test data on Super Excalibur, a nuclear-powered X-ray laser built by Lawrence Livermore Laboratory the project was canceled in 1992. All the talk about death rays and charged particle beams was little more than an elaborate smokescreen designed to hide the fact that the U.S. was developing a directed energy weapon that uses a high-power microwave pulse. Livermore Labs has been a central participant in SDI since 1982 when Edward Teller, the lab's founder, suggested SDI to Reagan. The father of the H-bomb received 40,000 shares of a laser research company that later defrauded its investors. Dr. Teller tried to sell Alaska on Project Plowshare, the use of six thermonuclear weapons to excavate a harbor at Cape Thompson, Alaska. In 1987, Teller returned to Alaska to propose the installation of a laser-like weapon system on the north slope of Alaska. The weapon system Teller was trying to sell was classified and not openly discussed, but the presentations indicated this Star Wars weapon was in fact HARP. In 1995, Congress killed funding for Star Wars, but HARP continues as the ultimate SDI radio frequency radiation weapon. The Reagan administration intensified the push into electromagnetic weapons development under Project Sleeping Beauty. A scientist working for the Army's Ballistic Defense Command complained to the House Government Operations Committee that as much as half of the entire STI budget had disappeared into classified projects. Suddenly there was a threat to this world from some other species from another planet outside in the universe. We'd forget all the little local differences that we have between our countries. Perhaps we need some outside universal threat to make us recognize this common bound. I occasionally think how quickly our differences worldwide would vanish if we were facing an alien threat. High Frequency Active Auroral Research Project, HARP, 30 miles from Fairbanks, Alaska, is the real focus of anti-missile defense that SDI was purported to be, and much more. The public patent was titled, A Method and Apparatus for Altering a Region of the Earth's Atmosphere, Ionosphere, and Magnetosphere. Dr. Bernard Eastland, a physicist who holds a patent for the fusion torch and also holds a dozen others related to HARP that were eventually purchased by E-Systems and Raytheon.
Patent number 4686605 claims the following uses. Cause total disruption of all forms of communications over a very large portion of the earth. Missile or aircraft destruction, deflection or confusion. Weather modification by altering solar absorption. Also, altering composition of the atmosphere. This patent was classified by the Navy under National Security Order in 1987, but other public patents exist for purposes of power beaming systems, artificial ionospheric mirror composed of a plasma layer, creation of artificial ionizing clouds above the Earth, defense system for discriminating between objects in space, nuclear-sized explosions without radiation, HARP is described as a research instrument for studying the ionosphere, an ionospheric heater, or IRI, of which many exist, but HARP is special. The ability to focus energy and the unprecedented amount in gigawatts, billions of watts, makes it literally millions of times more effective at heating the region about 120 miles above the Earth's surface. The atmosphere has most of its density below 30 miles altitude. The ionosphere is the very thin layer above that absorbs dangerous ultraviolet radiation and makes life possible on Earth. There is very little mixing normally between the two layers, but disturbances in the ionosphere translate to changes in weather, such as normally occurring sunspots and the solar wind. The main idea behind HARP is the ability to direct electrons along the naturally occurring magnetic field lines of the Earth and accelerate them to near the speed of light to form a protective shell of highly excited particles that not only block communications worldwide, but destroy missiles and their trajectory as they descend from space. The effects can be localized by punching a hole through the ionosphere to superheat an area 30 kilometers in diameter into a plasma shield. Any missile or aircraft would be destroyed that tried to fly through the plasma, which is the fourth state of matter. A hole in the ionosphere above an enemy country could kill by allowing solar radiation to strike the surface unhindered. Weather modification could also be used as an instrument of warfare by manipulating the electric jet and the jet streams that dictate climate. The publicly stated aim is C3, command, communication, and control. The margin of victory in war is to block or intercept enemy communications and to secure your own. The signals in the ELF extremely low frequency range can be generated by HARP and heard anywhere in the world and are used for earth penetrating tomography, basically finding enemy submarines and underground bases. Dr. Richard Williams says the high energy experiments will generate the equivalent of the output of 10 to 100 large power generating stations and that quote, tests of these kinds could cause irreversible damage. According to Dr. Elizabeth Rauscher, quote, the ionosphere is prone to catalytic reactions, so if a small part is changed, a major change in the ionosphere can happen. HARP documents admit that a thousand-fold greater amounts of energy can be released in the ionosphere than injected. Stanford University experiments beaming radio waves into the magnetosphere detected the signals halfway around the world. Some were amplified a thousand times. David Yarrow states, quote, Earth's axial spin means that a burst lasting more than a few minutes will slice through the ionosphere like a microwave knife, producing not a hole, but a long tear and incision. 
HARP documents describe intentionally trying to get a runaway effect in the ionosphere. Quote, the instabilities commonly studied are approaching their maximum radio frequency energy dissipative capacity, beyond which the plasma process will run away until the next limiting factor is reached. The first atomic weapons testing was done without knowing if the chain reaction would stop or keep going. Dr. Oppenheimer admitted years later that, quote, the government knew that the scientists didn't know. The decision to pulse several gigawatts of energy into the ionosphere could cross a threshold. Walter Richmond wrote of an account of such an event in a book entitled The Lost Millennium. The event began with a solar tap, a planetary short circuit. Quote, the surge of power became an avalanche. At the pole in the vertical plane of the Earth's magnetic field, where the winds of magnetism would not rise to blow it out. One trillion watt seconds of energy unleashed their fury on the polar cap in the first flash. Even as it discharged, the ionosphere was recharged from the solar furnace. The first flash became a mighty roar that poured an increased and now steady stream of energy through the now stabilized short circuit. Kilocubit after square kilocubit of frozen wasteland boiled Watt after watt of ever-increasing avalanche energy lit the polar cap with a glare that had never before been seen. Earth's an electrical motor. When the motor began to run wild, it would increase its rotational speed. Eventually, the Earth would explode from increased centrifugal stress. The HARP project manager describes the experiment of Earth-penetrating capability using frequencies of 10 to 20 hertz pulses per second or maybe one hertz, one cycle per second type waves. This range of frequencies are the same dominant frequencies within which the human brain normally operates. The military, particularly the Navy and Air Force, have extensive research on the negative effects of extremely low frequency radiation. These effects have been well documented, but the government easily deflects public concern by playing down the effects and minimizing the risks. This is the same method used for other military systems, including nuclear weapons tests, LSD experiments, and radiation experiments, all carried out on unknowing subjects under the guise of national security. The environmental impact statement has been falsified as to the true nature of the weapon system, its capabilities, and its possible fallout. Mary Jean Connell the only living victim of the plutonium experiments, when asked how she felt after receiving $100,000, merely replied, I'm afraid it's going to happen again, you know.
मुझे मालूम है इसके बारे में बंद करना बंद कर बोरिंग सा था वो चलो चलो जल्दी करो चल रहा हूँ बाबा बाय बाय कल मिलेंगे
That's all it is, right? Why you having it, you know? Once you do that, you wake right up. At least it works for me. Right, well, 
She's not, in fact. See, I got this uh, cousin who lives near the airport. It's okay for me to stay with, right? And I got the sound effects tape from Rod. Hello, Mom? Yeah, out here at Barry's. Huh? Yeah, noisy as usual. Glad we don't live here, huh? Yeah, Aunt Nina says hello. Right, right, I'll call you in the morning. Yeah, yeah, sure, I... Uh, just some kids drag racing outside, I think, Mom. <laughs> Listen, Mom, I gotta go. I think there's been an accident out front. Right. Right, I'll call the police. Uh, no, just some neighbors having a fight, I guess. I'm fine. I'll call you in the morning. <laughs> Where's like a charm? Jesus. <laughs> See, I told you you'd be feeling better. All day long, I've been seeing that guy's weird face. Hearing those fingernails. Fingernails? It's amazing you saying that. That made me remember the dream I had last night. What'd you dream? I dreamed about a guy in a dirty red and green sweater. Well, what about the fingernails? Well, he stuck his fingernails along things. Actually, they were more like finger knives or something. Something he'd made himself. They made a horrible sound. Nancy. You dreamed about the same creep I did. That's impossible. What? Nothing. There's something out there, isn't there? I didn't hear anything. Well, I heard something. I'm going to punch out your ugly lights, whoever you are. Kitty, kitty. Chow, chow, chow. It's finally making a last down just three yards from the goal line. What a brilliant tackle, and the fans go wild. What the hell are you doing here? Getting to make up, no big deal. Your mom home? Of course. Oh, what's that? Intense, huh? <laughs> so what's going on here? An orgy or something? Maybe a funeral, dickhead. It's just a sleepover date, Rod. Tina and me. Then it's just leaving. <laughs> you see his face? You see his face? <laughs> Your mom ain't home, is she? Me and Tina got stuff to discuss. We got our mother's bed. You guys got the rest. I think we should get out of here. Hey, you guys can hang around, right? I mean, don't leave me alone with this lunatic. Please, Nancy. <laughs> Glenn, not now. We're here for Tina now, not ourselves. 
Why is she so bothered by a stupid nightmare anyway? Because he was scary, that's why. It's a Charlie exclusive. Charlie exclusive.
ఏముంది లీలా ఇదో కలమ్మీ ఇప్పుడు మళ్ళీ ఆ పిచ్చికలేనా ఓల్డ్ వంకల్ టింకర్ గా పెంచావు అవి తీసేకపోతే అలాం